you know, if you decide to take your clothes off, please turn up the camera. Yeah, because nobody yeah. wants to see that. Yeah, Lando. Yeah, Lando. <laughs> <laughs> Good day, Kyle Metzloff here, uh, Dr. Woots on Instagram. Uh, looking forward to talking to you guys, uh, Lando and Nick. Good day. I'm uh, Rick Furr, a blacksmith in Sturgeon Bay, Wisconsin, and uh, happy to be here. Don't know if I can help, but I will try. Good day. <laughs> it's Lando. How are you doing, everybody? Uh, a little bit of a different intro today, and uh, yeah. you know, Nick, how you doing, buddy? Good day. Hey. Good day. It's uh, Nick Welch, uh, Twisted Steel Blacksmithing. Uh, yeah, I like mixing it up a little bit. We're, I like this little uh, change. It's kind of nice. It's refreshing. But uh, welcome to another episode. <laughs> Excuse me. Another episode of Forge Hide Chat, a podcast <laughs> about blacksmithing, bladesmithing, and everything in between with a heavy, heavy emphasis on the Great White North. Although we're not uh, talking about Canada today. Well, today we're we're diving south of the border. Yeah, we've got uh, two gentlemen yeah. joining us. Um, as you heard, the quick little introduction that we've had there from them um, coming in from uh, Wisconsin, right? We've got uh, Rick coming in from Door County and Kyle coming in from Madison. Kyle is a professor at the University of Madison. He's specializing in metallurgy and uh, he's got a lot of connections in the blacksmithing world through his work that uh, we're going to dive into and learn all about. Um, Rick has been working with Kyle for quite some time. Um, Kyle's Dr. Roots, if you guys uh, didn't catch that at the beginning there. Rick is coming in from Door County Forge and Rick specializing in knife making, sword making. Um, there's a little bit of Viking-esque in there if you mm -hmm. dive into what uh, what he's doing. And uh, hopefully we can get a lot of this information out real quick here in, uh, what, two hours like we normally do? Maybe a little bit longer if we can. We'll see how long we can go for. Yeah. We'll yep. see what information we can pull out of these two gentlemen. Um, before we do that, Nick, uh, you, how's your week been, man? You Hey, yeah, thanks. Doing good? No, uh, week has been a little bit up and down. Uh, let's see. Monday we had a class. There was uh, four people. Former uh, supervisor for when I was working in the oil patch, he was in. Uh, that was kind of cool. Uh, we made uh, made a Damascus knife with him, and we made some knives with the other people. That was kind of cool. Uh, Tuesday I had to take uh, Mrs. Twisted Steel to a hospital in Innisfil, which was oh. fun. But uh, yeah, she Ooh. wasn't feeling very well, and uh, and in the morning she was she was really quite sick, and we got her to the hospital and uh, yeah, they did, still don't know what's going on with her. So mm -mm. there's oh. some testing going on and she's, she's feeling better now, but uh, yeah, it's kind of been a little bit of a ongoing thing. So we're hoping that uh, we'll figure out what's going on with her and she gets better soon. And um, yeah, the rest of the week we've been making Damascus in the shop. Um, and I found out that I need to pour new Babbitt bearings in my, uh, Canadian giant power hammer. So yeah, that's grand. <laughs> what, what what led to that discovery? Um, well, I noticed that uh, so Julia was pounding out some Damascus, and you could 
watch the entire flywheel move up and down with every hit. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah, it's time to get some Babbitt in there. I mean, it's not moving very much, but it's enough. And yeah, keep it greased, but it, they wear out over time. So, yeah. And uh, yeah, other than that, we've been playing spring cleanup in the shop and getting ready to take over the shop next to us, which is going to be great. They're going to double our size, which is... I'm stoked about it. Oh, man. Every day I see... Two more weeks. Uh, Yeah, April 1st. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. I'm really hoping my landlord doesn't walk up to me and say, April Fool's. (laughs) 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 Move in a day early. That's my suggestion. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) For sure. Cool. Cool. Right on, buddy. Hey, Nick, do you you cast those Babbitt bearings? Or how do you... What do you do there? Yeah, we're we're gonna have to cast them right in the. So we've got to get you, some. Uh... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I just I, I a little bit familiar with the process. My I used to help my buddy make some Babbitt bearings for his old MG race cars. So is it uh, oh, yeah. cast in place uh, where you yes. you put you plug the sides up and there's a little hole in the top and you pour in the Babbitt. That's exactly how we'll do it. But we'll we'll pour them one half at a time. Um, that way you can take them apart and you can mm. cut your grease channels and everything in them. Right. So Ooh, interesting. Yeah. yeah. I, at least that's how I've seen it done. <laughs> we'll find cool. out. We'll find out when it's, uh, when we've got it together anyhow. So yeah. Good times. Did you mess message Mark? I didn't. I actually, I found a, a local guy who's poured Babbitt before. So oh, we're cool. gonna, yeah, we're going to yeah, give but- it a go. I know it comes in a... for power hammers. Sorry. Well, I need to talk over. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no, well, it no, comes ahead. in a few flavors, uh, the, okay. the Babbitt. So you might be able to pick something that, I mean, not that you're going to wear it out in your lifetime, Yeah. but you, you can get some that wear a little bit better than others for the same purpose. Yeah. I have some bars of Babbitt. I don't know what they would be, but um, yeah, hmm. I guess. We'll find out. <laughs> we're we're either going to have really good Babbitt or we're going to get really good at pouring Babbitt. Either either way, it's going to happen. Fun project, either way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, good times. Sounds like sounds like a little bit of a fuck around and find out uh, situation. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. You'll yeah, do lovely. fine the second time. I love yeah. it. <laughs> the third time, it's going to go a breeze. It's going to be like, Usually the know, third time you that. screw up because you're confident about the second time succeeding. Uh, yeah. So the fourth time is going to go really good. Yes, the fourth time and fifth yeah. time go well, and then you get lackadaisical again. But that tenth time, uh, you know. Yeah, that's where you really. It's yeah, like I've done this before. 10,000 hours. That's what you need. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. That's what they say. Yeah. The key the yeah. key to the key to success to being the best at the best. Right? Once yeah. once you perfect I, something. Not perfect it, but Well you can come close. I, I found what also is important in that is not just the time but paying attention to what you're actually doing and the result you're getting. Because I've seen people right. go through the same motion and uh get drastically different results. And they don't know why. And I'm like, well, in the case of forging, it's all responding to force. So if you're applying force yeah. to it and you're getting different results, it's probably you. 
metallurgy. There's some there metallurgy involved usually. You can only do yeah. three things to metal. <laughs> Just three. Yeah, you can heat treat it. You can change its shape. And you can sell it. <laughs> that last one I, I have trouble with. Um, but no. I, I don't have a trouble with that at all. No, I don't. <laughs> Not at all. Well, uh, Abana, the the Artist Blacksmith Association of North America, which includes you uh, and all your listeners, um, says there are, what, eight or nine things you can do with metal. And they, they cover, you know, piercing and slitting, upsetting, right. drawing, uh, welding. That's uh, only five. Casting, heat treating. I forget what the others are. Um, but... There was a smith called Clifton Ralph, and he said, there's only one thing you can do. You can shape it, um, which is almost true. I think shaping and heat treating, that might cover everything. But that that's uh, knowledge without wisdom, right? So so yeah. it doesn't tell you anything. Yeah. <clears throat> so there's no, there's no gain yeah, from no. that statement. But, but uh it's it's a lot better to try those things and then see what happens. But you got to pay attention. So that's a hey. long way of saying fuck around and find out. That's it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. exactly. Uh-huh. Yeah. Speaking I, of uh, Abana, we actually just got the Manitoba Blacksmith Guild signed up as um, affiliate of Abana now. And, uh, awesome. So I, we'll yeah. put on a conference because they seem to be unable to do that down here. Okay. Speaking of that, speaking of which, this summer in Toronto, which is near you two gentlemen, oh, it's not yeah. too far from me. Well, Fergus, Ontario, actually, which actually might even be closer. Sorry, I'll, I'll hold that close to the screen for you. Mm-hmm. Um, is it? This is Can Iron. It's happening August third to sixth. Right? Is that what it says on there? I think right. August third to sixth, mm-hmm. and yep. uh, so you can head on down to that area, or you can head over to CanIron.ca. Uh, and check out for all the details that will be involved in that. There's a bunch of demonstrators, including Terry Sheridan, Jeff Helms, Matthew Collette, David Robertson, Matt Jenkins, Karen Kunane. I'm hoping I'm saying that right. Peter Braspinick's is supposed to be there, which is going to be super awesome. I love Peter Braspinick's works. So I can't get enough of it. And Rob Martin as well, which is from Thack Ironworks. Rob is um, an amazing artist as well. I, I would highly highly love to see his work I, i'm looking forward to being there I'm, I'm planning on it hopefully things work out for me um and yeah Man- manitoba blacksmith guild actually is trying to corral a, a bus to head on down there with uh, all the gentlemen so that'll be uh really cool jeff helms is good yeah yeah i that is work i'm not familiar with that name unfortunately like i've heard the name before for sure but i'm not familiar with his work unfortunately yeah he uh he did this was a while ago but he did a set of inlaid uh viking anglo-saxon style fittings i think they were viking period uh impeccable um the the amount of time he spent on it was remarkable and i i could see it in the work cuz i know what it takes to do that and i contacted him and I asked him how he felt about it, and he said, "I regret starting because once you once you get into it and and you, you've decided on the level of detail, you have to continue. Yeah. You, know, you can't hide it later. You can't change the the geometry halfway through. So, 
So he had committed to this rather intricate wire inlay. Uh, and, uh, and then once you finish one side and can look at it, you still have a whole other side to do on the fittings. Oh, gosh. Yeah. So oh, kudos to him. He's got no off switch. Yeah. Well, I, I'm very happy that you brought up conferences and we were able to bring up Canarn because uh, Canarn is actually where Fortresside Chat kind of got the, the roots to start this. Um, prior to Canarn, there was a couple conversations that I had personally had with a few gentlemen, um, Dave Cordelia, um, Kirk Sullins. Uh, who else was there? There was uh, a local gentleman, Yon Bardell, uh, just to throw out a couple names of the people that I, that really helped get the roots of Forge Side Chat started. Justin Lamro and myself, Lamro, sorry, we started this venture with the Manitoba Blacksmith Guild. Eventually, it got brought into Canarn Virtual. We did a big event with Canarn Virtual and that was in lieu of COVID canceling what was supposed to be this event coming up. So it, I'm super happy that we got the chance to get that out. While I'm at it, let's throw Maritime Knife Supply. Your number one <laughs> place to get knife making supplies. I don't know if you guys know about Lawrence Lake at Maritime Knife Supply or not. I, but, I do not. Oh, but, oh. Dude, what the? Jeez, come on. He's so close to you in reality. And he has <laughs> extremely fast shipping through the United States, through Canada. He has all these great hookups on how to get things shipped super fast. I don't I don't know how to explain how he does it. People in the industry, like high up people in the industry, don't understand how he does it. He's got some amazing <laughs> business skills. He's a really super awesome dude. If there's something he doesn't have on his website at maritimeknifesupply.ca or .com, you can contact him personally through the through the website, and he will probably be able to get it for you because he's that freaking awesome. Um, but I'm kind of doubting that there's something on his site that, that you're, you're going to be looking for more than that because he carries everything you could think of. And because you're in, you guys are in the United States, you get the... Uh, the savings of you know the the conversion savings, right? Conversion, so, yeah. yeah, yeah. See, you got sharpening yeah. stones and all kinds of good stuff on here. Oh yeah, and oh yeah. There's a thing where you buy ten belts and you save ten percent. Like any Ooh. of the different belts that he carries, pick up ten of them, you get one for free. It's just how he does his business. And because we are affiliated with Lawrence through Forge Slide Chat, we can save you $100 on heat treating ovens on either Even Heat or Paragon. Use the code FSCKILN in the checkout, and you will save yourself $100. Nice. Yeah. That's works awesome. out pretty good. I like it. Yeah, I did see some of your ads from in the past. I did kind of look them up. So, yeah. Um, it, it's, that's good. I, I, uh, We've got a uh, we've got a couple grinders at the university. Uh, actually, my students in Madison just bought uh, a new grinder, um, and um, and yeah, we're looking for some some belts, so we'll have to do that. We're working on a project. It's called. Uh, you probably saw that on my Instagram in the past. I think you guys commented on it. Um, it's called Cast and Steel, and it's mm -hmm. it's the corollary to Forge and Fire. Um, it's very similar, except that we cast the thing instead of forging it. So we're nice. kind of cheating a little bit. Um, there you go. Last yeah. Year, 
Last year, my students won uh, the competition, um, making a leaf sword, a Celtic leaf sword. And uh, we use investment casting, uh, but all the same heat treatment processes, all the same grinding processes that we went through to get, you know, the final part. So you never told me um, that you won. Oh yeah, yeah, we won. Yeah, we won the overall thing. We kicked ass. So, <laughs> Congratulations. Uh, <laughs> um, and we're cheers. doing one right now. With yeah, cheers. Uh, we're doing one right now, which is a a, a spear. Actually, uh, it's an African spear. So every year, so if you look at if you go to the Steel Founders Society of America, uh, what's cool about it is. Uh, the first couple of years, Ben Abbott was the judge, one of the judges on it. And now this year, it's uh, David Baker and Ben Abbott are going to be judging the competition. So Ooh, um, very, cool. very cool. We've got yeah. some we got some really cool stuff we're working on for this year. Um, let's call it chemical casting. So we're actually okay. using Whoa. chemical reactions right. to to. Uh, to create molten steel at 4,100 degrees. We did it for the other day at 4,100 degrees. That's Fahrenheit, not right. Celsius. Oh, but it's still freaking hot. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's a lot of freaking hot. <laughs> so yeah. uh, we actually yeah. melted. We yeah. we boiled some of the sand that the mold was made out of. So yeah. So anyway, no yeah. it's the same process though. We got the grinders and all that kind of stuff. And so it's to promote metal casting uh in in uh in universities and that kind of thing so awesome. but most of my kids want to pound on metal and we have all the equipment uh at the university we have uh um an air hammer we've got a 70 ton press that rick uh set me up with he's my he's my guy that that looks at all the uh uh all the auctions that are going on and all that kind of stuff i don't look at them because I, it, it's dangerous for me to do that right um, I work, whereas i have much self-control yeah, Rick. You know, tell, I, tell I, us, I, tell us the, uh, the the forging hammer that you have. My that it, it's a Niles Bemmet Pond steam hammer, and I I bought it from a guy that ran it for fifteen years, and then he bought it from someone who had run it uh, for a railroad, I think. And uh, I wasn't going to buy it, but it was green, and uh, and that's a good color for machines, and uh, no one else wanted it. And he said he was going to scrap it. And that's the worst thing you can say to me is that uh, oh, well, yeah. if you don't want it, I'll just get rid of it. So it's uh -huh. sitting at my place now. Uh, my wife that's, says that's it's for sale. A, yeah, That's a blacksmith thing. <laughs> that is a blacksmith thing. Because yeah. Lando and I were just thinking the exact same thing. If 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 somebody said, oh, I'm just going to scrap it. Ah, oh, no. Let's throw it in the back of the truck. Let's get it home. Let's, you know. So Nick, Nick I think you need just this hammer. That. I think you need this hammer. How it only weighs twenty two thousand no. pounds. It's I think you yeah. need to contact you need to contact Ethan Hardy about that hammer. He <laughs> loves his steam steam hammers. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Ethan Hardy. Hardy. Yeah. Well this is yeah. a, a thousand pound. So the the, the dies on it are six yeah. inches. No, seven inches by sixteen inches. So wow, it's like two wow. anvils slapping together. Yeah, he's I running a three hundred pound steam hammer right now in his shop. Well he needs this one. I think he does. <laughs> he I think brother. he would be yeah. giddy about that. Yeah. yeah. Get get Mark Ling to stop by and pick it up on his way up there. That's it. Oh, yeah. I can load it. He, he would have a blast hanging out with the two guys too, or well, with with yeah, get them both down there. Jeez, Louise, get the whole yeah. chain gang down. Jeez, yeah. Chain <laughs> <laughs> you guys know the chain gang? No. No, that's uh, Mark Ling, Ethan Hardy, uh, Travis. 
Oh, shoot. I'm forgetting his last name. I don't know. I can't remember all the other two gents' names. I'm, t- I'm terrible. I'm sorry. Uh, well, we had Mark Ling and Ethan Hardy on the show before. That's where I know more about this. I mean, I've seen the chain gang kind of stuff on online before, and we talked about it on the podcast. But uh, if you look on Ethan Old Hardy Forge or Mark chain, Ling, chain gang, is that what that is? Uh, is it a bunch of younger gents? Because I know they, they they kind of rep are like replicating something that was like a very old school thing, the chain gang. But I don't know. It's a guy. I know. I see it on some of the forums here, the chain gang. Um, yeah. Interesting. Have they ever forged a chain? I couldn't tell you if they have or not. I don't know. Oh, have you yeah, guys ever seen that old vi- the old video of the um, chain forging? Oh, it's 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 an the awesome one where the, video. the links are three inches in diameter. Oh my God! Yeah, go go. It's it's from 1901 or 1902. A library of Congress. I, I show my students this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So look around on YouTube for uh, maybe I'll do that right now and I'll I'll give you a name of it. But it's a YouTube video of this chain works that for like. They're they're forge welding big with wrought iron. We're actually like one of them. They're right. making a, oh. um, an anchor. They're making all kinds of crazy stuff, and it shows how they they bend the they bend the links around. They got a, a lap yeah. weld, and then they actually would would forge weld it. And I'm going to show you something right now. This is really cool. Um, my grandfather was um, a foreman, so I'm a third generation metallurgist. My grand my yeah. my grandfather was a uh, a foreman of the Columbus McKinnon Chain Works in in uh, Tonawanda, New York, and I'm going to show you this. I know you can't see it on the podcast, but this is a um, the, a link, the first electrically welded link of chain ever. Whoa! <laughs> what? Yeah, it says Holy right on it. It says Columbus McKinnon Chain Works, uh, patented Tonawanda, New York, and that's where I'm originally from. So. My yeah, my uh, wow. my grandfather uh, was was involved in That's that crazy. process. Now, of course, it put a bunch of blacksmiths out of business because they didn't have to forge weld the things together anymore, right? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> so, that was the beginning of things. Uh, yeah, yeah. But if you watch this video, it, it was it was a shitty job. <laughs> right. <laughs> imagine right. imagine doing this as as uh you know. Uh, as a job day in and day out. Oh man, man, we we're, we're lucky we live in the day where this is a hobby and not something when you guys, hey. I know it's not a hobby for you guys, but it, <laughs> well, yeah. when, when I, when I say this is, this is, uh, uh, you're, you're doing it cause it's a passion, not because someone says, Hey, go over there and forge that shit. And, 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 and get, I want, I want to see 200 links by, by lunch. Otherwise well, you're fired. Right. People ask me story. how they used to do this back in the day. And I'd say, it's really easy. The foreman or owner or your father looks at you and he says, if you want to eat today, this is what you're going to do. Yeah. 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 That's pretty much how it works. If I want to eat today, I go out and I bang out yeah. some shit in my forge. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's how it works. Yeah. So, I, I guess. I'm trying to get to that point, but I'm, I'll never be making three inch chain link. That's for sure. No. Well, I, I think it's no. a hard thing to sell too, but, uh, but yeah. de- decorative links to hold chandeliers. That's a possibility. 
Um, yeah. But it, if you enjoy what you're doing in blacksmithing or knife making or sword making, then keep it as a hobby. It can be a hobby that pays for itself. But as soon as you turn yeah. it into a job, it becomes like every other job. Once you jobify well, it, it becomes that, work. that yeah. becomes work rather than enjoyment. Now, you can like some of the things you do, but you have to do all the other stuff you don't like. Like some yeah. of the but, uh, best grinders I know, people that do stock removal, they are so good at grinding because they hate it. So they want it done with. So they're incredibly efficient. They get better at it. They do it right. fast. Right? The people that are good at forging yeah. will draw that, no pun intended, draw that time out. Uh, or they'll do multiples. You know, they get an order for one, they make three. Uh, yeah. And finish one. And if it works, then great. And then those other two billets just sit there waiting for nothing. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, speaking of passion, I really would like to bring up my uh, my friend TJ Bremner. He just picked up a heat treating oven actually from Maritime Knife Supply. He is the first person to use our code to save a hundred dollars. Whoa! Yeah, that's so, awesome. Uh, it's pretty that's awesome really to hear that, that he he did yeah. that. Yeah, and uh, yeah, yeah. And, and people are picking up stickers. I've got some more people that have picked up stickers. So we've got uh, awesome. a list of people. I, I, gonna shout them out but i don't have the list of names sitting in front of me like a hoser would do <laughs> go figure Jeez, louise what a guy um yeah hey they're unnamed but not forgotten how about that oh here we go actually uh we've got dusty lowen has picked up a sticker recently nathan butcher Corey epp Miles Volman, Aaron Struby, Matthew LaRoque, that's LaRoquez if you don't know, and Mark LeBlanc, Papa Hache. They've all picked up stickers. Thank you guys so much for supporting the podcast. That was five bucks, little bit of money to help support the podcast. You guys are awesome. And if anybody else wants to be awesome and help support the podcast, reach out to me, Abstract Blacksmith, on either Facebook or Instagram. I'll help you guys uh, get that sticker sent your way. That sticker was designed by uh, Justin Lamaru, he did an awesome job, and I know anybody that gets a sticker is going to be stoked on it. Everybody that has gotten a sticker has been stoked on it. So hit me up. Let's get you that sticker. We also would like to bring up Brad Millman because Brad Millman hurt himself real bad. He broke his leg. He ended up breaking his hip in a few places. He was bound up in the hospital for a few weeks. He's out of the hospital now at home with his dad, and um, that's this a rough situation there too. I don't know how much uh, Brad wants me to really be talking about that, but they're, they're, they're just like, yeah, if it's not one thing, it's another. And we've decided as a community that we're helping Brad out because this is going to be hard on Brad. He's already um, the type of gentleman that, you know, lives on uh, a low budget and being out of work like this for a while, not being able to be on his feet, he relies on being able to be in the shop making knives. So as a community, we've decided to create something on Instagram. If you hit, head over to Canadian Maple Waffle, you can uh, see all about that on that Instagram page and get the details there. Look, look through the pictures and you'll, you'll see what's going on. Speaking of which, that's his donation right there. Nice. Nice. Yeah. yeah, that's a sweet piece you made there, buddy. Very sweet yeah. piece. 
little bit of Damascus. Yeah, I like it. And that sheath is super awesome. Who made the sheath again? That is uh, my buddy Jordan Monroe at uh, Monroe Leatherworks or Mon- Monroe Leather Co. in Lacombe, Alberta. He is fantastic. And actually, Shelly got me a rifle scabbard for my birthday. So <laughs> that Jordan made. Oh. oh my God, it's nice. Yeah, it is absolutely beautiful. So yeah, it's too beautiful to take hunting, but it's beautiful. So that's it's good. Yeah. I don't know how you if you can do this or not, but I just put the two links for those uh oh, yeah. yep. videos up there and uh you just take a take a gander at those. That that's old school. That was you know, hand forging. What what's amazing in these videos is that um when they used to forge weld big anchors and stuff like that, they might have six or eight people forge welding at the same time with hammers. And the way yeah. they swing those hammers to not hit each other and kill each other. Yeah. It's completely amazing. Uh, I, I just, I can't even imagine trying to time with eight other people hitting that thing at the same time. And they're talking about doing forge welds that are, you know, a foot square or something like that. I've uh, done it with, with three two. other people, but with eight people, oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. I just yeah. watch, take a, take a gander at those. Anyway, that, that was really cool. It's something I, I show my students about. Um, Whoa, that, the old, yeah, old school forging. Right Do you know about the one called Forging the Big ring no it's a library of congress oh, yeah yeah that's that, that <clears throat> they, that's they stick a weld it, by swinging the hammer up yep that's a rough yeah, life. i think it's on one of those Oof. videos uh uh that i sent either that or if you if you go on those videos it'll be like the next one in line uh yeah they're they're forge welding a ring that's what i don't know eight feet in diameter well, probably and there's guys to standing on top of the yeah. forging and 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 you know it's an old charcoal forge. It's it, it's crazy stuff. So, yeah, I, you know, I I kind of have a you know passion for the history of metallurgy and and for yeah. um, um, you know the new generation making sure they know where a lot of this stuff came from. Um, we talk about you know heat treatment. I do a lot on heat treatment, and um, we can talk a little bit maybe about uh, the woot stuff that 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 Rick and I work on. But uh, you know, if you have a um, Rick has a sword that he gave me that I'm I'm looking at right now. I someday I'll have to give him back the pieces of it because uh, we cut it open <laughs> and, and look and and we've it actually it fractured somehow. So uh, we're looking at the fracture, but it's a Woots sword. Yeah, uh, that, what year was that from, Rick? Oh, do you think? probably early 1800s, possibly late 17, but I doubt it's that old. That was a donation from oh. a collector in Michigan. Um, just. Huh. Uh, yeah, he had bought this piece and it came broken. So he oh. uh, he donated the the broken bit to the cause. Yeah. So I've looked at at that under the microscope. Yeah, you can look at something under the microscope and see, you know, all what's going on there, but you can't necessarily tell how they did it. And that's the reason why Woots, which is the true Damascus steel, really. I mean, like, you know, when they yeah. when they say mm-hmm. Damascus steel, they were trying to replicate what Damascus looked like by pattern welding. And, and, and now it's kind of funny that the, uh, the, the terminology got switched around almost, whereas the pre- more prevalent stuff is the pattern welded stuff and the stuff that, that Rick and I work on. I don't know. There's probably a handful of people in the world that, that can, can really make good woots uh, nowadays. Uh, but mm-hmm. trying to 
reverse engineer what happened through heat treatment and through um, the type of ore they're using or whatever it was that that produced these really cool patterns in the olden days uh to 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 actually do that that's that's a whole nother ball game you can look at it you know but you can't necessarily tell how it was done and that was the the journey that rick and i started was at 20 something years years ago trying to um come up with uh you know better and better methods for making re remaking the woot stuff and and, and unfortunately yeah. one of the professors a lot of this stuff came from i don't I'm going to hand it over to Rick for a couple of seconds, and he's going to give you the the background on what Woots is, because he's got 2,000 books on it, and he's read most of them, and and I haven't. I've, I've looked at all the pictures. No, basically, you're you're talking about something that dates back to about 300 A.D. that we can really put a pin in, but it, you know, technologies don't just come into being; they evolve, right? Very few things are. Uh, revolutionary. Most things are evolutionary. So about 300 AD in uh, India, uh, some people are saying Turkey, some people are saying modern Iran, um, but it was in existence within the archaeological record by 300 AD, and it spread uh, with warfare, with capturing of uh, craftspeople, with indigenous recreation of techniques um, to about a quarter of the planet. So it was made in general in a, about a quarter of the geographic planet for about 1500 years. And then hmm. it fell out of favor as cheaper products replaced it. And uh, in, in India, at least uh, the, the Brits forced uh, them not to produce it anymore. But they couldn't compete uh, with the sheer tonnage that was was being traded through the British Empire. But but they they couldn't uh, produce it any longer, and it fell out of favor uh, as well because of price. But they made thousands of tons of this per year as a cottage industry. So these ingots weighed from a half a pound all the way up to maybe six or seven pounds for the largest ones, historically. There might be an outlier here or there that was larger, but but basically there was something that a group of humans can forge, right? And uh, then they'd be turned into whatever was needed. If it formed a good pattern and they would sort for pattern, then it would go to blades and that were meant to have that uh, those properties. And if it didn't show a good lamellar structure, a pattern to it, it'd become scissors and chisels and be welded into more utilitarian pedestrian items because it was still decent steel. Um, but the ones that really showed a good pattern were used for, uh, for rather showy blades, better projects, that type of thing. In... Uh, there's a an armory in uh, North India, in Alwar, and their stamp was a little umbrella with a sunburst next to it, and mm. or sometimes just the sunburst. And I, I toured Alwar uh, in 2007, and the sheer number of spectacular blades that were sitting in this museum that doesn't have a book. Uh, there are very few photographs of what's in the collection. It, it's fantastic. And it was one museum in North India. You know, and you can, there, there are 
20 or so museums in Rajasthan province that's worth looking at. But a lot of them have photographs out there on the net. Very little is documented from Alwar. Uh, we weren't allowed to take pictures when I was there either, for mm-hmm. whatever reason. Um, but there were woods patterns in there that I haven't seen anywhere else. Uh, just beautiful hey, Rick, stuff. Yeah. I'm going to segue a little bit to what the hell is woots? Oh, woots is a <laughs> word that's, uh, it, it means nothing. It's actually a corruption of an earlier word called uku. So U-K-K-U, which just means steel. So over the years, um, uh, it's also been known as pulad or fulad or bulat in Russian. Um, basically, mm-hmm. it is a steel uh, ranging from about 0.8 to 1.8 carbon, and it's made in a small batch process where it goes completely liquid. So forge welding, even though you see a splatter, there's actually no liquid phase. That's all solid phase. The splatter is usually uh, flux. Right? Yeah. 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 Uh, and. You can make a point with the Japanese or early Chinese methods where you're consolidating a bloom where part of it has enough carbon to where it actually went liquid. Um, But that aside, um, typically when you're forge welding, there's no liquid phase. It's all solid phase. When you're making the crucible steel, there's a container, some form of ceramic, and there was a, a variety of that, something that could take the heat of 3,000, 3,200 or so Fahrenheit for long enough for the charge inside to go liquid. And then they let it solidify inside that container and you get an ingot and they, they ranged in shape. Most people think of it like a muffin, but uh, the earlier product was actually more of a tube. So it it ranged uh, maybe an inch and a half in diameter and three inches tall um, in parts of Persia. And you get into South India, and they were more flat, hockey puck-looking uh, shapes. So because the metal went liquid, it took on the shape of whatever the container was. But typically, when, when modern people think of it, they're thinking of a, of a muffin-shaped piece, which is about as tall as it is wide. Um, but, the, but they ran the gambit. If you look at Persian ones or uh, Turkish ones, they were, they were different shapes. Um, but basically, so I'm gonna, I'm, I'm, hmm? can I can I metal it, metallurgicalize sure. for a second? Okay, so so what's actually going on? Why are we melting the metal instead of uh, forging it or, or doing it in the solid state? And the reason is, if you look at the iron carbon phase diagram, which uh, you know some some blacksmiths get familiar with that for heat treatment and stuff like that. But if you look that up, and it's it's a diagram that explains. I, I say it's the most important diagram ever known to mankind. And the reason is it tells us what happens with all of the chemical reactions that are going on in, in cast irons and steels and everything in between. And so um, it's an equilibrium diagram. It says this is the chemical reactions that should occur. So what happens is as you go higher in carbon content, especially once you go above, you know, 0.91% and that kind of stuff, the melting temperature starts to come down. If you think about what they had for furnaces in the olden days, they couldn't melt like steel. They couldn't melt steel until we actually, you know, and and, and they they had better uh, kilns and and I'm sure Rick can tell you all about that stuff. But but eventually what happened is they figured out if they put enough carbon in it, 
we can actually melt the stuff with the current technology we have. And when you melt it, what happens is all of the impurities go to the surface. Whereas the Japanese and the, Euro, you know, the Europeans and the, all the people that were doing it in the solid state were doing a bloom, you got particles of solid slag in there. And the only way to get them out is to fold them over each other and let that stuff come to the surface and keep on doing that. But it was a really long and drawn out way where you could have just melted the stuff. No, no the thing pun is, intended, at, drawn out. Uh, uh. <laughs> when I, I say shit all the time that I don't know is like stupid like that and I probably could lose my job for some of the stuff I say probably <laughs> it was uh, not an innuendo me. it just comes out my mouth <laughs> I hear you <laughs> so, so the deal is that they could actually melt this stuff when it's their high carbon content the problem is when you have a high carbon content and you try to forge, it just crumbles in little pieces. So the, the technology came in going from the ingot form to something that they could actually forge. And I, I say it's kind of like turning the metal inside out. When you first make the casting, which it is kind of a casting, right? You heat it up and it cooled really slowly. A lot of that material is segregated. And if you just forge on it, these hard, hard um, long particles that you formed in there just crack along those hard particles. And, and so what you can do is you can heat treat it in a certain way that breaks them down to where they form more like spheroids. And when you forge it, now you've got that hard particle separated with like soft iron around it. And now I can go and forge it like it's a piece of steel. And there's a lot of goofing around then at the end to get the pattern right. And, and, and you know, making a blade uh, out of Woot steel is is forging at the back of the book. You're 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 starting at the back of the book if you're starting in Woot. So, um, so the stuff that Rick works on and the stuff that I study, um, you know, it it it's it's definitely. So what is it when you look at another microscope? What is it? It is a lot of little carbides, little teeny carbides, and then ferrite or a a softer. You can heat treat them so they can have whatever the matrix you want, but essentially it's got little bitty carbides all around and they're kind of not super uniform and that's how you get the pattern. I so look you, at it as for- diamonds in pudding. Yeah, yeah. And the diamonds, so when you forge weld and and you etch, you're looking at, you know, a high nickel versus low nickel uh, and the, the high nickel doesn't etch as much as the, the, the low nickel, right? When you etch woots, you're actually... You're, you're, you're etching two different things, but you're etching one faster than the other. The big chunks of carbide don't etch quite as fast as the stuff around it does. And so they, they end up being kind of a lighter area. And then the darker areas, if you try to etch it the same way you etch your, your, your knives, it, it, it doesn't work as well. Um, and you can over etch it super easily. I don't know. And Rick would, you know, on, on the actual techniques on that, Rick is the expert on that. But well, there's, uh, there's even uh, more nuance than that, because if you look at some Turkish Yadagan and uh, Kilij that were forged, they have a darker matrix than things that were in uh, North India. So even within, you know, the time frame that this was being made, uh, there are differences because, again, it was a cottage industry and you use the materials you have available. So it's not a thing. It's a range, a spectrum. 
right? But the technique for the initial manufacture becomes the definition. So it went liquid, and then it has a pattern. And now we kind of group everything that has a pattern as Damascus steel, um, even though the origin might be completely different, and indeed the chemistry. Because Wootz isn't Wootz because of its chemistry. It's Wootz because of uh, the fact that it went fully liquid and that it has a surface pattern. But chemistry is almost left out of the equation when we talk about it nowadays. And back then, really, eh? we, we, we know a little bit of how they referenced it, at least in Persia, because it was documented by Al-Kindi and Al-Burundi when they wrote about their uh, travels. Um, and there are still, there are really good translations out there. But that's assuming that the initial text is correct. And sometimes you write things that you hear about rather than what you've seen. And just because you've seen it, it doesn't mean you understand what you're looking at. So mm-hmm. you have to buttress all of this with with a little bit of salt uh, when you read about these these older techniques. But if you look at the physical artifact, then you've got one more thing you can analyze, right? Technique-wise or chemistry-wise. The problem with Wootz is we only have chemistry on maybe 200 items. I mean, Kyle and I have tested some of the antiques uh, and, of course, the things we're making. Um, but I'm, I actively purchase broken blades just so I can get them analyzed. And mm-hmm. so I've, I've got, you know, in my personal record um, studies on, on a dozen or so um, that – I haven't published, um, and I I used to think that I should, but I, I'm holding everything a little bit tighter to the chest now than I used to. But um, there there are nuances in this, and some of it is time period, because if you're jumping from 300 to 1800s, you're going to get differences. But a lot of it's cultural in how they approach the problem, because you can have the chemistry and physics of it, which have one demand, but how you view it in your cultural context matters as well. So mm-hmm. yes, you liquefy it and pound it, but you're doing it within a certain context and your raw material uh, can have a certain yeah. uh, nuance to it. Um, the latest studies I've been doing, um, not with Kyle, but exploring is redoing all the old recipes that have been documented. So with a Canadian film crew, um, what, three years ago or so, uh, I forget the title, uh, had something to do with making. I can, I can look it up, um, but it was all uh, working titles when they came here. But they filmed us making um, some melts and walked through the whole thing up to forging a blade. Uh, but it didn't air in the U.S., so I don't know what they, what they eventually called it. Um, but we used pomegranate as the carbon source because pomegranate is considered an auspicious um, vegetable or fruit uh, in Persia. So all mm. the carbon for one of my melts came from pomegranate. And I was sick and tired of eating pomegranate by the end <laughs> because you, you're using the rinds and you have to dry it. So you'd think, oh, if I eat six of these, that's going to be enough. Well, that only makes like, uh, I don't know, one sneeze worth of charcoal by the time uh-huh. you dry those rinds. Hmm. So, um, yeah, 
yeah if you show me a pomegranate i get physically ill now um <laughs> but it's just one of the things that you could use but it, it, where you get the carbon matters very little i think um it's uh how it's introduced to make sure you get a full liquid to it and then how much of that carbon actually gets incorporated into the steel um and i've successfully forged up to 2.1% carbon wow um i had a student i used to to give classes on woods making uh here at my shop and um i had a student that worked at a a stainless steel plant so we were forging out these ingots and he was curious so of course he went back to work and he sent me the full chemistry list of what was in there and it was 2.1 carbon so nice. I, I think I showed Kyle some of the bars from that and it had black specks and we think that was yeah, graphite you, coming out. Graphite. You can have graphite in it. Yeah. So let's, let's talk a little bit about what it means for someone like these guys. Um, well, if you got a chunk of Woots, what, 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 what will you do with it? You know, and, and, and how do you forge it? Well, and, if it's a it, really pretty ingot, I don't do anything to it because those are rare. So I keep them so I can show people and go, look how pretty this is. <laughs> no kidding. Yeah, yeah. for sure. <laughs> right. Um, I, 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 I got to ask, though, when, it, when you say that there's no chemistry involved in it, there's what, what is the general chemistry behind boots oh, if you do yeah. look into well, the, the, the range? Uh, if you're talking, the, you know, again, it's a spectrum um, because it wasn't a – it was produced in large volume, but it wasn't a mass-produced item. But each shop would get the ore from this place and the dirt from that place. And you need the auspicious vegetation and you need the clay crucibles from your clay crucible dealer. And sometimes the crucible wall gets incorporated in. So if you're forced to get a new uh, ceramicist, then you might end up with a different internal chemistry. So it all plays in. But it ranged from about eutectoid, 0.8. Or so carbon up to about 1.8 maximum in the historic record. There might be one or two little outliers, but somewhere in there, most of it was 1.5 to 1.6 carbon. Was that, there any other well, um, the, alloys? The, the red herring now is uh, vanadium. There were some very popular articles about vanadium percentages. But if you look at the actual results, um, I think the highest vanadium historically that I've seen is 0 0.1, and it was Ooh. one sample. Uh, okay. it, the huh. next was uh, 0.07, I think. And then it all drops down into, into low ones and twos for that second digit. So 0, hmm. 1, and sometimes 0 0.007. And then other times mm -hmm. it's either not listed or or mapped out to three decimal points of zeros. Right, so yeah, at that point, yeah. If you have something that promotes carbides that works at 0 0.00 a number, I think industry would be extremely happy to talk to you. I, I think mm -hmm. that that... Uh, I don't think that's it. I think most of the pattern comes from iron carbide and not some carbide forming element beyond that. And not okay. every right. other metal uh, forms carbide. You know, silica doesn't, nickel doesn't. There are a lot of things that are in trace because of either the ceramics, you know, dirt, 
um, or in the iron ores that were utilized. Mm-hmm. Um, or again, auspicious plants. For a while there, I thought, <laughs> if you want a deep dive, um, I talked to a guy named Bill Hicks because um, oh, everyone yeah. said I had to talk to Bill Hicks. Yeah, so I was down at, uh, at Batson Symposium in Alabama, and this was 22 years ago or more. Um, and I was talking to Don Fogg and uh, maybe Steve Swarzer was there. I forget, uh, maybe Rob Hudson. These are all heavy hitters, you know, the next generation above me here. Um, and we're talking about things. And some local Alabama uh, a group of them said, you got to meet Billy Hicks. And I heard this over the weekend. And then finally, we're all out drinking in Don Fogg's room. Uh, there must have been 30 of us in there. Talking about stuff. Um, Mike Mike Bell was there. He's a Japanese sword maker. Um, and we were talking about metals. And Bill Hicks sat next to me and he said, everyone's saying I need to talk to you. And I went, I've heard the same. So this guy that had come from work, he was looking a little rough. And he had a nice, heavy accent, southern accent. And I've talked to a bunch of rednecks already. And uh, that's not. A, a nasty term. I know a bunch <laughs> of hillbillies that are Hill Williams uh, in disguise. So I, um, I would say that I resemble that. Right. Remark, there you so. go. Yeah. yeah no, that's, that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> you can't, you yeah. can't judge because um, you're wrong most of the time. But anyway, uh, Mr. Hicks sat next to me and he looked me straight in the eye and he said, do you think the vanadium content came from the uh, adenosine triphosphate uptake in the desert plants because phosphorus and vanadium are both bioavailable to to plants and maybe there's vanadium rich soil and the desert plant absorbed the vanadium instead of the phosphate and then uh, it slowly died and those were the plants that were easier to harvest and after blinking at them for about I don't know a minute and a half I went well you know in India they used a, a a desert plant called sudgy as a flux. It's a pretty ubiquitous flux in the high desert region of, of Rajasthan um, used, used in jewelry making and I'm sure steel production. And I said they would add it. Uh, and when I've gotten samples of it from a, a, a professor, uh, Mark Kanoyer at Madison, uh, it fizzes on your tongue. He said, you got to taste it. If it fizzes, then it's really good stuff. And I don't know what made it fizz, but I told uh, Bill about that, and he said, yeah, but how much can it absorb, and, and how do you run the tests? So, you know, within two minutes of meeting this guy, I figured that I was the mental midget compared to, to what he had going, which is why everyone wanted us to, to talk. So it could be that the trace flux additions could have added the vanadium in the percentages just because the plant uh, was lacking phosphorus from phosphorus-rich soils, which had vanadium-rich soils, and they're both bioavailable to the same uh, adenosine triphosphate uh, reaction. Um, So I don't know. (laughs) But it's not in high enough percentages to where it actually seems to matter metallurgically. So I think it's a red herring, but it's a really interesting one. Frick yeah! If that didn't blow your mind, I don't know what will. Okay, where where are we here. going with this? I'm sitting over so, here thinking. So, so you so asked, last week you asked what chemistry was in, in the steel, and and I don't have any. Is that much else in it? 
it's very else in it, that. what it yeah, didn't it include was uh, huge percentages of tungsten uh, what it didn't include now if you go if you jump into another tradition and again these were localized peoples the turkish stuff looks different from the iranian stuff which looks different from the indian stuff mm-hmm. um, and yet we hold a certain appearance to this as the touchstone for everything but that's the wrong way to look at it um, mm. If you go to the Russian um, uh, lineage, they call it Bulat. And there was a guy named Anasov uh, that was a metallurgist in Russia. They have a statue to him. He's the only metallurgist mm-hmm. I know of that had a statue. So if you want to do a write-in campaign for uh, Kyle Metzloff to get a statue at Platteville, <laughs> that'd be all right. Um, but Anasov wrote <laughs> on the Bulat. Just thinking the same thing. Yeah. It's been translated <laughs> from, from Russian uh, uh, to English, on the Bulat. And he talks about his discoveries in, in reproducing that. And they actually did full production runs at the Zlatoust uh, Armory there. And I've held one of those blades. I went to a Timonium conference in Baltimore, in Maryland, um, and someone had a Slotoust blade, and it it absolutely had a surface pattern, looked like a nice blade, um, and they made thousands of them. Uh, but I haven't been able to find one. Well, I found them. I couldn't find one I could afford, um, and I've never found a broken one to chop up because people never show you the bad ones. You know, you go to a show, yeah. they show you the museum quality ones. I yeah. I want the rusted, broken chunks because uh, I learn yeah. more from that than I do the museum pieces. Yeah, uh, you can't I mean, bring yourself to cut cut into the. Uh, I don't ones. like to. No. <laughs> no I There's a video out there of 20 years ago, me, well, 15 years ago, cutting a uh, a sword in half, and uh, I think I turned off the comments on it. Uh, because people were were getting pretty vicious, roasting you. Know, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, there's I, a I video on YouTube. There's a video on YouTube of some gentleman making some woots, um, kind of like out of a, a backyard shop. It looks like Probably they've got a bloomery going Pendre. on. Al Pendre okay. of Williston, Florida. Yeah, Al died four years ago now. Um, he knew a lot. Not just about knife making. He was a second generation knife maker. Um, his father was well, second generation horseshoer. Maybe he was the first knife maker. There, here's a story about yeah. Pendre that needs to get preserved. So I'm going to tell you this one, whether or not you want to hear it. So yes. <clears throat> there is um, a lineage in the U.S. for pattern welding. Uh, and, and it almost all stems from Bill Moran, William Moran right and out in new england and there's a there's i think his shop is an actual museum now and bill moran i never met but i have friends with people that were friends with him and by all accounts he was a good human being nice guy helpful maybe to a fault and at no point did he say that he invented pattern welding but he popularized it right and there's there's some talk that that they think that he invented it in the u.s and that's simply not true but he did popularize it right and he was a very capable smith and made some really nice knives um but he was getting some national press and pendre uh al pendre showed his father pictures of these pattern welded blades that moran was doing 
And his dad said, well, that's nothing but a forge weld. And Al was saying, no, there's something to this. There's something important here going on, something different. And his father said, no, it's just a forge weld. He goes, he's just forge welding it together. How do you think we make big horseshoes from little horseshoe pieces? So his dad, according to Al, went over to the coal forge, lit it up, and took a bunch of horseshoes and rasps and straightened the horseshoes and welded the high-carbon rasps between layers of the horseshoe and showed it to Al that that's, that's all he was doing. So um, there are there's more than one lineage to pattern welding in the U.S. And I think Cleston Sinclair uh, is another nexus point for American pattern welding. Um, certainly the group coming out of Southern Illinois uh, at Carbondale uh, in the late 80s, mid 80s, um, Daryl Meyer among them, Phil Baldwin, uh, Marvin Jensen. I, I don't remember the others. I think there was a group of five there under Brent Kington, um, who was the professor there. And, and it, it, it spread, you know, slowly at first with the spread of Abana with more knife shows coming up. Yeah. Um, yeah. and, and then it just got better. Right. And, and the starting point for Smiths that are doing it now is a level that generations previous couldn't even imagine the patterns that they're getting powder aside just the the manipulations i mean Mm -hmm. they're they're incredible i think that if any of those first pioneers in the knife world uh would have lived long enough to see what they're doing now they would be um well, I'm sure you get the mixed feelings because a lot of these guys were not <laughs> not the kindest in their opinion. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I, I think most of them would say that we finally have uh, a generational craft, um, yeah. which is good. But if you stop a hundred modern knife makers and ask them who Cleston Sinyard is, they, they won't have a clue. What's his Instagram? Uh, and that's not a dig on on you know, the gram or, or social media. It's just that it, this has been poorly documented. Um, I mean, we lost uh, George Worth just uh, uh, this year. Uh, he was working out of Southern Wisconsin. Um, I went to George's house uh, four or five years ago, uh, maybe six now. He had a, a printmaker's case. So a, a case where you'd pull out a drawer and you'd have all the, the type in there for printmaking. They're about right. mm, 30 inches wide and two foot deep. And there are maybe mm-hmm. 40 drawers in each case. Mm-hmm. You had three cases and you open any of them and they were full of one by four inch bars of pattern weld, each one a different pattern. Wow. He marked them with letters. So he started out with A and he went to Z and then he did AA. And he grabbed out of the middle of the second case and handed me a piece, and it was K-A. So <laughs> I don't know how many in that is. There are 26 letters. You work it out to K-A. It's a bunch. Yeah. Um, and all of that is now owned by someone else. But I have no idea what he's going to do with that that little piece of living history. But it, it'll never be seen. I'm, I'm sure of it. Because how could you get it out to everyone? Um, and the patterns were... Yeah. Excellent for their time. 
right? But they might be considered primitive to some people that are working today, but, but it evolves, right? You can't look yeah, at something that's... in its time period and say, well, that's wrong, which is right. a lot like crucible steel, just to pull it back. So you can look at it with Kyle's modern eye and go, well, you know, it's, it's very little slag. That's nice. But the carbon level is way too high for this reason or that reason. Um, or the carbides could be better if they were based on tungsten, but they weren't, right? So you have to look at it as a snapshot of history, right? And and that's a complicated thing because first you have to understand the history of it and the metallurgy and stop asking the question of why didn't they do this, but ask the question of how did they accomplish that? So, so you, you guys, uh, uh, Nick, you do a fair amount of pattern welding, Lando, or do you do, you do some pattern welding? I've done very little, but I have done a little bit. Um, we, we do a lot. Yeah. yeah Nick, we do a lot. Yeah. Nick, Nick, <laughs> you do a lot. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So what, yeah. what kind of patterns are you making now? What, what are you doing? Usually what I do is I start with uh 24 layer and then we, cut that in half and we put about um, three layers of 1084 uh, quarter inch. So we've got a big thick core. So it's, it's more Damascus sandway. We, we do knife making courses in, in red deer. Um, well, they're, it's, you make a knife in a day. It's more entertainment than anything else. It's uh, um, yeah. So people have the option if they want to make their knife out of Damascus, we have a billet that's ready to go. So we just cut their knife pattern out and within a day we make a knife. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So have, have, have we usually have a lot. Worked, have you either worked with uh Woods at all or have you got a chance to pound on something? No, no. <laughs> maybe we should, maybe no. we should send them a piece here. Ooh, boy. Oh boy! Yeah. Hey. Actually, when you hey. mentioned Hello. your friend with yeah. the broken leg, maybe we could throw one into a uh, one of the auctions oh. for that. So. Oh wow! Yeah. Yeah. yeah! Wow! Do it! That would be amazing! <laughs> Please! That's really cool. That's I, I got awesome. a couple yeah. of chunks that that um, now now one of the weird things about Woots is that because it, it has a really high carbon content. And there's not a lot yeah. of alloys in it. It's not very hardenable. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's not. It's not very hardenable. So uh, what you have to do is you have to. Um, well, a lot of the swords weren't necessarily hardened all the way through. They might have had just at the edge they were hardened, or hmm. sometimes right. you got a little bit of modeling in in the structure uh, because when you harden it, you get a different etching than when it's not hard. Uh, and uh, what I found with some of my stuff is that, you know, you almost sometimes you don't want to harden it completely uh, right. because you get, sometimes you get a better, a better etch uh, when it's unhardened. It, it gets kind of like a little right. gray near the cutting edge or something like that. So, um, but you That's know, pretty cool. you're, when you forge it, uh, you don't want to get it, you have to forge it at, at traditional woots, woots that has low alloy content, um, what happens is, you know, typically carbides want to form, if you get above 0.8% uh, carbon and you heat it up and you slow cool it, you anneal it, 
you get uh, you got your grain of austenite, and then around that will be carbides. And it's a really crappy structure to have uh, because now you have like my analogy is you have M and M's that you got wet and you let them dry out. So it's a bunch of M and M's that are melted together, right? You take mm -hmm. a knife and you try to cut yeah. that. And it's going to be like peanut brittle. It's just going to break apart on the, on the candy shell, right? So the candy shell is the carbides, and the and right. the chocolate is the uh, um, is the the ferrite or the soft material in 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 the in the, in the grain itself or perlite or whatever. And so right. you need to turn that inside out. And what what I mean by that is, if you take a bunch of candy shells and they're particles and they're in chocolate, you can run a knife through it, right? It just, you know, the little particles will get out of the way of the chocolate and then, you know, you'll have your, your deal. So um, one of the things they think with flutes is small amounts of these uh, trace, trace elements of carbide formers. Um, what they'll do is if you heat it up and you cool it and you heat it up and cool it, instead of the carbides forming on the grain boundary and making that, that candy shell like um, you know, the M&Ms melted together, what it does is it nucleates carbides all over the place instead of on the grain boundary. So what you're doing is you're trying to create a nucleation point for the, um, for the carbides to grow, not on the grain boundaries, okay? Right. And, and what happens is these elements, when you cast them, when you slowly cool them, they're segregated. They get these like dendrite or these like little Christmas tree looking uh structures inside of them and you have areas of high percentages of these elements and areas of low percentages so therefore and those atoms by the way don't move around really easily like carbon does so carbon moves easily these other yeah. elements don't move so what happens is when you heat it and cool it and heat it and cool it the carbides form in the areas where those you have a higher concentration of um, carbide forming elements now the other way to do it is actually add a whole bunch of those carbide forming elements and actually form tungsten or vanadium carbides or other carbides. So normally with normal woods, those carbides are iron carbides. They're not very hard, but they're really cool looking and a lot of them right. form. Well, not, and not so very when you're hard, forging a blade, but still harder than quenched steel could ever get. Oh, right, right. It's definitely, oh, yeah. it, it, it totally improves the wear resistance. Um, what I like to think of Woots, if, especially Woots that's not super hardened, like if you have a perlitic or, you know, you've heated it up and you've cooled it in oil and maybe you got, at the very edge, you got a little bit of martensite, but right behind it is is not, it's perlite or it's some sort of bainite or something like that that doesn't, um, it's not very hard. So what happens is you start sawing with this thing you know, cutting meat or something like that. <clears throat> and then what it's, it's kind of like in your pattern well and stuff where if you have like a, a higher and lower carbon content, you get like a micro serrated edge because you're wearing away the areas that are soft and leaving exposed. It's almost self-sharpening. So that's yeah, the cool right. thing about this. I, I use Woots a lot for, for, um, for meat cutting and stuff like that, where a sawing action, it's like, it, you have these micro serrations on the cell level and it just tears apart meat. You can just walk that thing through meat. So I would think if wow. you guys are hunters that a Woots knife would be stellar <laughs> for like, you know, yeah. what are you guys doing? Moose yeah. or what are you doing up there? Elk? Ooh, you, send me some antlers. If it's brown, it goes down. 
Right. You know what? Um, Moose antler works really well. Elk antler up here, there's too much pith in the center. Of yes. That, yeah. Of that right. antler. And it's, it, it's a, great for a hidden tank. But, right. Uh, well, yeah. if you're a monster, I, I had a student that brought by, he had a, an elk farm uh, in Minnesota. Oh, yeah. And uh, he brought two giant, I, they were half my height, maybe almost three quarter my height, each one. And I oh, thought yeah. that I was going to section that stuff up and make scales and all sorts. And I cut <laughs> that in half and went, oh, because they grow so quick. Oh, yeah. They need all that blood supply. Yeah. Oh, it's okay. natural yeah. handle materials. Yeah. Or it, it's an art form getting to do something decent with it. You know, yeah, horn yeah. as well. What about caribou? Don't know. Um, yeah, I don't know. I I would think some of it would be okay. There'd be others that probably wouldn't be so great. A buddy of mine brought me back uh, some caribou from oh. Rankin Inlet. He brought me a whole whole head. Oh, that's awesome! I, I want to keep it. Sounds like that, you're going to tell us. How it works well, yeah. Horn. Well, I, yeah, I'm going to yeah. get him to bring yeah. me back some just a piece of horn. Hopefully, then I want to try it out now. Yeah, now that we're talking yeah, about it. I don't know why. Awesome. I'm not a knife maker, guys. I hate to let you down, but <laughs> Mick, you Mick are tries a blade to smith. say it. Yeah, he you tries to say smith. I am, but I'm, I'm not. I'm, yeah, no axes. I, well, I'd like to make axes and hammers, but well, then you need a usik to use as the as the handle for an axe. An usik. What's yep. that? It's the usik? penile bone of a walrus because it's cold and they need help. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There you go. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. Okay. Is it strong? Every, every blacksmith I know <laughs> says that they can make a knife. It's just the polishing that they don't like. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah. It's also the same thing I hear from every knife maker. So really, blacksmiths are knife makers that gave up. Yeah, I'll, I'll admit. Well, and it's the handle <laughs> working too. Like I look at doing all that work with the handle and, you know, these guys nowadays are sectioning like 20 different pieces right. minimum oh, into a yeah. handle type thing, yeah. right? Like look at what Justin was doing with his handles lately. Just freaking all sorts of different shapes and whatnot of li- different layers of colors glued together. Well, and just, see, that's, that's, a, I don't know. that's a misnomer though. You're, you're, you're doing yourself a disservice looking at it that way. It's a very modern thing to think of something as sole authorship, right? That's very modern at no yeah. point in history. Would you have a person smelting their own steel, forging their own blade, polishing their own blade perhaps not even heat treating it and then to do cutler's work on it you know that that's it's not how it works it's always uh, been compartmentalized you have experts doing their expert thing but nowadays you'll have a knife maker that does his own pattern weld maybe he makes his own steel from dirt uh yeah. does his own engraving does his own leather work does his own gem setting yeah. Uh, if he's doing mm-hmm. cabochons or something on there, it's really not a fair uh, comparison to the old work, but but the, some people are pulling it off, and I yeah. hate them. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> do you know the name uh, Spencer Sanderson by chance? No, might know the work. 
we had him on the show a few episodes back now. He is up in Alaska and he's doing boots as well. And uh, he's doing some really nice stuff with that. He's making some hunting knives with it and whatnot. And he's uh, he seems to be pretty dang knowledgeable about it as well. I mean, you guys are like yeah. taking me to a, a different level right now with the 2v going back and forth and oh this is a this my mind is absolutely just i i can't take i don't know if i can take it anymore well, it's I, amazing I, I look at it this way like i i got to study with some heavy hitters early on in my career um and i look at it like this that some people are deep wells and other people are puddles but the surface reflects the sky the same and you don't know until you get into it whether you're dealing with a well or a puddle. But the problem with wells is that you can fall into them and not reach the bottom. So don't do that either, right? Just to carry a metaphor yeah. out, um, you 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 have to find the information you need to complete the project and then move on. Um, so where you stop. I like it. When when you're when you're sampling the water depends on on how thirsty you are, I guess. Uh, but the yeah, water is so always cooler at the bottom. I, I'm looking at my uh, chats here. I, I, yeah, I, I, I corresponded with Spencer a while back. Um, he was asking about some chemistry stuff for Woots. Um, he showed me a chemical analysis that he did uh, of his stuff, and it looked pretty good. And I don't know. He was asking about etching, so um, I'm, I'm hoping he's progressing on that. I think he had a uh, a lot of people use propane uh, forges or, or for yeah. propane furnaces. Uh, and Rick, I think that's what you're using most of the time, right? Um, for forging, for, general forging, for, I use natural gas, but, but I have a five psi line. Uh, and I then have, what about uh, for actually the, the, uh, wood stuff? Oh, I do yeah. that with coke now. Yeah, I used okay. to do it with uh, with propane. I didn't quite care for it, um, and then I, yeah. I did some with hardwood charcoal. Um, but uh, I like to keep my hair, so uh, <laughs> oh, you, you won't stop shoveling if you're trying to melt steel with hardwood charcoal. That becomes okay. your god. Um, and then I'm, I'm assuming electric blowers, because if you're using a hand bellows, uh, you better be. Oh fit. gosh. Yeah, have to so I'm hairy there. and not fit, so I don't do it that way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'm Rick, right there with uh, you. Rick, you you um you've done some. There's a professor Knoyer in um, at EW Madison here. He's uh, and Rick's a good friend of his. I I, I see him here and there. Anthropologist. Uh, yeah. Yeah, he's an anthropologist, and and uh, what's the name of his class? It's like, uh, ancient inventions or something like that. Or what What's the name of his course that he oh, does? I think it's applied archeology. span Okay. Yeah. And, and they actually yeah, do hand bellows. Uh, and they oh do yeah. A... Well, you, you, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You start out with rocks and sticks and you work your way up to metals. Yeah. <laughs> That's really cool. So right. yeah, I still have the spear that I napped out of chert and uh, one out of obsidian with him, and the the cuts Very have cool. finally healed from the obsidian. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So with modern day woots, 
are you guys kind of playing around with the chemistry of it now, trying to do different things, add different alloys and seeing what you're getting out of that? Yeah, to some extent. I mean, you know, um, uh, trying to find something that, that, you know, our, our goal, I think in the end is to, to make, to be able to make woots that, um, can be sold to the market, um, and is reasonably priced and, and forges, let's say, I'm not going to say idiot proof, but I'm going to say easier to forge than traditional woots. And, um, because traditional woots, you really have to pay attention to your heat cycles and what's going on at the end of your, um, a lot of times Rick will sell, you know, his, uh, an ingot and he'll say, you know, it comes with no guarantee. It, it's, it's, it's a, it's a paperweight because mm-hmm. the amount of hand holding that might be required to get to that Smith to, to actually, oh, your stuff is crap. <laughs> no, you did it right. Wrong. Yeah. I stopped selling I a- those for that reason. <laughs> Yeah, I have a question surrounding that scenario. When it comes to pattern welded steel, should that guarantee be available? Oh, you mean if I sell you a bar of pattern weld and you're going to forge it further? Yeah. No, because I don't know if you're an idiot. Yep. Good. Yep, that's fair. No. That is more than fair. Because this, if this, you burn this came piece, up. Yeah. Well, this came up recently with a friend of mine. He's he was selling uh, billets of Damascus, and it came back around to him that there were some issues with the Damascus, mm-hmm. and it's like, well, or Damascus with with yeah. the pattern welded steel. Sure, it, it, there's some issues with it, and it's like, well, I don't know what to tell you it left here as a solid billet what did you do to it that may have caused this at right. that point right that's that's exactly it though that's exactly it but then again at the same point how can you guarantee that there's not inclusions within your billet well if you sell it to a stock removal guy and he sends you back a picture of a big black line that's probably uh it left your shop that way but it was buried I mean, yeah. I, I ground down a piece today, finishing a long term project that I should have had done a while back. Um, and I came across a little blister that was buried 40% inside the bar. Um, but I was, I was cutting it down for thickness and was surprised because that billet started out, uh, you know, as perfect as it could be in my shop. And there was a flaw the size of an eraser that was buried oh in this piece. Uh, and it ground out. You know, it was localized to just that area, which is what you hope. I mean, that's every every pattern welder's idea of success is when they can grind through a flaw. You know, that's, yeah. that's just how that goes. Um, uh, Steve Swarzer used to say that no weld matters but the last one. Right? Mm. So... If you can heal it in the last weld, but if you think you have a billet that's kind of iffy, um, you don't sell that one, right? So, yeah. yeah. If, and if you can got... see a flaw in the forging when it's being forged, like a discoloration or a blister, yeah, that sh- shouldn't leave the shop. I mean, you can turn it into a piece of sculpture or chop it up and and right. go for another reweld you know and if you really here's a tip yeah. if you can't get it to weld if for some reason the stars are not aligned and you did everything right and the flux and the heat and the pressure and everything's going and you get an area that just won't weld and you have to save it 
Um, you can drill into it. You could slap on another piece. There are a lot of techniques, but I have found that uh, uh, fluxing and wire brushing it until it loses color. So you're kind of burnishing the surface and then soak it in dilute muriatic acid or white vinegar. Um, not strong mm -hmm. acid because you're going to do a long-term soak, like 24 hours, 36 hours, and take mm -hmm. that out and go immediately to another forge weld. But before you forge mm -hmm. weld, do a little squirt of WD-40 in there mm -hmm. uh, or your preferred lubricant, um, non-synthetic preferred, um, and then flux it and uh, back in, and it should heal up Yeah, if your technique is good. Um, Hallelujah. So you, you but acid gets in there and it eats that interface. Acid eventually will eat the, the matrix, the, the, the material itself. But if you look at how it removes scale, it eats the interface between, because the scale just falls off onto the bottom of the etch tank, right? Yeah. But it eats the interface. And if it's not welding, there's a chemical reason why it's not welding. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I've seen guys that have more experience with me and I'm not exactly a spring chicken. Um, I'm more of a, I'd like to think a, a late summer chicken. Um, <laughs> and, uh, yes, I ran off the reservation and I uh, didn't get me yet, but, um, <laughs> the, uh, there's a reason why it doesn't weld. And I've, I've seen guys with tremendous amounts of, of knowledge, um, not able to stick a weld for whatever reason. So it, it sometimes, yeah. you know, it just won't, won't happen. Um, and other times you're not doing what you think you're doing. You know, you grab the bar from the wrong stack or someone handed it to you and you're trying to open weld a piece of stainless or, you know, a rear truck spring that uh, probably wasn't anything to begin with. Uh, yeah, yeah, at any rate. Yeah, one of our one of our crazy projects, uh, I don't know where, Rick, you got them, but we how many pounds of meteorites did we melt down that one time? Well, I'm more concerned with the parts that didn't get melted. But, yes, um, I think it was Whoa. 24 pounds or so of meteorite. That, no way. It was 15 Like pounds. liquid there was, melted. There was an article. On yeah, it. liquid melted. We we made a um, we made an ingot. I still have some of the – I got one more ingot we left. We turned I it think. into 15 and 20. Out. That's what we did. We made 15 yeah. and 20 Whoa. from Space Rock. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, huh. that was cool. Yeah, because space rock is high in nickel, right? It can be. Yep. It can also be a rock. Um, but the metal-containing ones generally have have nickel. Yeah, six, seven. This one was six six percent nickel, yeah. and then uh, iridium. Iridium, yeah. Iridium. Yeah, that's 1%? how you can tell. So wow. Well, it's diluted back now, but Whoa. I, that's got to be hard, I, hard, hard steel. Well, it's a. Uh, I didn't notice it. Yeah, I mean, once you forge the ingot down, it's got all the issues that ingots have. Um, but once you get it down into bar stock, it responds just like a piece of steel. Yeah. Yeah. But most people, when they use meteorite, they're throwing in a tiny little speck. They're not you know, yeah. doing 30% of the, the project. Somewhere there's a, a video of me reducing one of those ingots. The ingots are, are pretty big, actually. They're about four inches at the top about 10 inches long, 12 inches long, and about three inches at the bottom. So, um, and, and when you forge them, when you've cast something and you're trying to take the porosity out of it, because there's usually some porosity in the middle of the casting somewhere. Um, and uh, there's a special forging process. In fact, uh, 
um, you know, um, uh, what's his name? Um, Pat Nowak at uh, Scott Forge. He's a metallurgist. I love talking to all the metallurgists at the different foundries and forges and all that kind of stuff. It just kind of, anyway, he's writing a book now, isn't he, Rick? Uh, Pat, oh, Pat I'm Nowak. not sure he wants us to talk about that, but yeah. Yeah, he's got a corner <laughs> of my library there. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, he, he, he I'll, is. I'll see him they, next they week at the, at the knife show in Janesville. Right, right. Yeah. So oh, you should all come his... to the knife show in Janesville, Wisconsin. Because <laughs> it's close by. Right, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure some of our listeners are nearby. We've got well, American listeners. Go. Jeez, For sure. Yeah. Right next to it. So anyway, Pat, Pat works at, at uh, uh, Scott Forge. And they forge up to, I think it's 300,000 pounds. That's their manipulator, just 300,000 pound cap. I think uh, at the place where he works, it's 60,000. Right, his, right, right. Yeah, at but, their, at their right. other location. He's kind of the metallurgist yeah. for both of them. But uh, um, they have a manipulator. They'll turn something. I don't know. It's probably like, let's say, three foot in diameter and 12 foot long or something like that. Chunk of, chunk of steel. And they have a it's hydraulic press. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I Five thousand like, ton. Holy smokes! And then the, <laughs> there's like maybe eight, two hundred horsepower motors with hydraulic pumps on them that run that thing. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Whoa. With the, yeah. With accumulators. Yeah, oh, yeah. So that it, it moves when, when he's forging that thing. It's like the whole building moves. Oh um, my god. Well, they. Yeah. What impressed me, they do the same operation that a normal blacksmith would do. It's just on a ginormous yep. scale. It's just on a huge, um, you know what, huge but scale. You when, know what, I, oh, yeah. Yeah. Big. I don't want the steam hammer anymore. I want the press. Actually, if either of you gentlemen have a chance to see that press in action and can snap a video of it for they, me, I would be. It's on their website. It's military. Is it okay? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah let's look, look up Scott Forge here. Yeah. Uh, S-C-O-T but, Forge. Yeah, um, it, it is it Yeah, is you can't awesome. you can't film when you're there. They don't let okay. you do that. No. Yeah. They control they're, they're their they're some, they do government contracts, so you can't. Well, yeah, yeah. that's how you yeah, get some military shot. card. I, yeah. I will say that the the dies are in, in uh, inter, uh, are changeable. And the bottom yep. die, they can, yeah, they can, it's got a pusher on it and a little conveyor belt. So they can swap the bottom die out in like a minute, 45 seconds, something like that. If they want to, let's say they want to punch like a two foot diameter hole in one of those bars. What they'll do is they'll take a big two foot, die, they have a die block with a hole in it yeah. underneath. And they just put a big chunk of steel on top of it. It's the diameter they want. Right. And they just press it through it. Yeah. And a big slug comes out the bottom side. They, you know, obviously there's some tolerance. You right. got to have a certain tolerance, but they literally just set this big chunk of steel on top. It's, it's very impressive. Anyway, the reason why I was talking about Pat is that he helped me teach a class on forging at uh, UW Madison. I believe there is YouTube videos of that those lectures, um, and it goes through. This is open die forging where you're going to take an ingot. Typically, they have a cast ingot, and they're trying to get the porosity pressed out of it. And there's a, there's a process of actually the way you forge it, how big the head is, how much force you put on it, how much reduction you do. There's some math involved on, on what that area reduction is. And that's how, like, when we, we did these uh, ingots for the space metal, um, that's, I went through that process 
it successfully was able to remove all the porosity in the ingots and get, I don't know, the bar ends up, you know, it starts out like a, a foot by three inches by in four inches on the other end. And it's like, I don't know, I probably got 10 foot of uh, <laughs> what one inch wide by, mm -hmm. by uh, you know, quarter inch thick or three eighths thick uh, bar out of it. It's, it's, it's pretty cool. Hmm. And then, then Rick will take and, and put that into uh, mm -hmm. uh, pattern welded stuff. So I don't know. Have, have you used some of that yet in your summary pattern welding, Rick? I, well, not on my work because some uh, most of that was for the for the client. But he he, this was years now, and he he hasn't specified a dimension. But he wanted me to break it down to a certain size and send it to another knife maker. But I haven't gotten a confirmation on the exact size. And the, the worst thing you can yeah, do right is now make it too small. Too small. Yeah, right. Yeah. Right. Right. So, so it's just and, sitting and there. Our, our, it's labeled space metal. Our, uh, <laughs> our hydraulic 70 ton hydraulic press, we've made semi quick, you know, change dies on it now. So we can, you know, put the right size dies on for the right reduction. And then what I, what, <laughs> what I like to do is actually make it, a fast acting die and Rick and I were been talking about doing uh, uh, accumulators on, on, on uh, hydraulic presses where right. you could accumulate the, the hydraulic uh, a reservoir under pressure. And then you could use that as a, almost like a hammer, but yeah. it's a hydraulic, it's a hydraulic hammer. Look into broad river forge, Brad Kushner. He's up in uh, Canada he has a power hammer slash hydraulic unit that he has built called the Juggernaut. And if I'm not mistaken, he utilizes that concept. Okay, cool. Yeah, Rick's got some monster uh, presses there. And the problem is they're so big that what is right. like about a 40 horsepower motor to run that thing. Was it oh 125 ton? Right, which I have. Yeah, I I just need a, a bathtub full of uh, hydraulic oil and to change a few of the pieces on it. So yeah, it's wow, uh, that wow. would be a I have of a machine. <laughs> I have uh, it's a kid in the candy store thing. When the last recession hit, not not the one that's coming, but the, the <laughs> last one, um, <clears throat> there were so many tools uh. that I could afford that I shouldn't have been able to afford. Well, affords a funny thing. I acquired them. Um, yes, yeah. Ford is a different, different, uh, different yeah. discussion. Um, right. but I have, uh, 469 ton hydraulic presses, uh, that I'm converting Whoa. into the, uh, use in the shop and they will effectively forge, like actively move a six inch cube of steel. Oh, frick. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Which oh, I can yeah. barely lift. Crazy. By the way, that's a big yeah, hot lollipop on a, a stick if you're doing things like that. So my yeah. intention is to set them up with uh, a different die locked into each one. So in a given heat, I can access four different locked-in dies for different forging operations. Yeah, Like moving into industrial drop forging I, at that well, point almost. No, it's all hydraulic. Um, but, uh, well, I do have two friction screw presses that I'm also – Everything's like uh, a year away, but if you asked me two years ago, it'd still yeah. be the same year. Right. So, yeah, you got to get on those projects. Don't be like me. 
what's the what's the end goal with that? What's what's the pro like the product that you're looking to push oh, out? Oh well, with the screw presses, or? it was a vanity purchase. I wanted one since I saw Grant Sarver at Off Center Forge. Uh, he used to make some really nice tongs and uh, hardies. Uh, there's some video out there on YouTube. If you look for Naked Anvil, that was his moniker on YouTube. And he passed on from a an aortic aneurysm uh, about oh, uh, maybe a decade ago now. He was brilliant. Um, I always found him a little abrasive, but in that good way where you want to contact him again. Um, but he always had an answer. He'd just yell at you when he was giving it to you. Um, but uh, knew, knew more than he could teach kind of guy. Uh, but there's some excellent videos of how he would break down the forging into logical steps and then make the tooling to do it. And he used a screw press. And I thought, oh, I need one of those. So it took me about eight years before I found I found one, um, which is actually two. I got a 150-ton and a one a uh, hundred ton and people Holy come into the shop and they, they dominate, you know, they're 14 feet tall. They weigh 20,000 pounds. They look at it and they go, why do you have two of those? And it's cause they didn't have three for sale. That's why I have two. Of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's a fair answer. It, it, it's fair the answer. honest. Yeah. Um, and I, they don't run yet cause yeah. I haven't built guards around it cause they can be a little, little more dangerous than they let on. Um, uh, but I smile every time I look at them. I mean, they're, they're, I'm so happy I have them. You got to take the little wins, you know? You, you know what, uh, Nick? I, she didn't even visit this episode. Like, these, it's like these guys know about her or something. I don't know. Where is she? Is she yeah. around? Or... <laughs> we've got, we've, somewhere. We, we've got, um, there's, there's this lady that shows up every <laughs> once in a while on our show, and she does this thing. And it usually comes down to when we start talking about the tools in your shop, because it's like, it's like yeah. her thing where she's like, oh, 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 tell me about your tool. Uh, uh, I mean, tools. Tell me about your tools. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, a, a tool will, will imitate skill to a certain level. Um, but... Oh, but it, it's not it's not the panacea that everyone thinks i uh i i've i've met several people who i will absolutely not name um and they went out and spent 50,000 on blacksmith tools um and uh no skill and they wonder why everything's a struggle and i'm like you need to start with a with a 2 pound hammer and and a 15 pound anvil and learn how to do those eight or nine things that Abana says you can do to metal. And it, yeah. if you're a blacksmith, you'll be a better knife maker. If you're into forging, 100%. if you're a stock removal guy, that's a debatable statement. But, but <laughs> you know, it it's it opens up possibilities, and you can solve problems. Yeah. But if you if you look at metal as a static thing, you are boned because it, it isn't. Oh, it's yeah. a dynamic thing even when it's sitting there on the table. Um, and it's yeah. pregnant with possibilities. Oh, yeah, tell I, me about I, it. When, uh, when we were doing <laughs> my class uh, on, on forging, you know, one of the things you could do is, is um, you can take a piece of clay and take little 
blocks of wood that represent your hammer or whatever your press or whatever it is and you can go and actually forge with clay you know with the piece of clay it, yeah. the same thing's going to happen in the metal and so that's what a lot of yeah. times i'll i'll give a student a big chunk of clay and i'm like okay make this with these three shapes <laughs> make make that shape with that piece of clay and then we'll talk about okay let's calculate the volume of that piece of clay uh you know yeah. before you start and because you know you, you watch forge and fire and you see some dude starts out with you know nine cubic inches of of, of material like you're moving like twice as much as you need to move and you're not going to finish in right. time yeah. so that's right if, yeah you guys know anyone that went on that show on forge and fire uh i want to say we've had somebody on the show that's been on forge and fire but then again i'm like oh man I don't know. We talked, I talked to so many different people in the blacksmithing community. I know I've talked to people that have been on it for sure. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I've talked, yeah. I've talked to guys. Well, I mean, Travis Wirtz, I mean, we're friends on Facebook. I guess that makes us friends. That's it. So. Yeah. Travis yeah. is wow. actually a really nice guy. He's another one of those mechanical yeah. geniuses. Yeah. That's, oh, that's a far yeah, reach. Really man. If you're, if you're friends with him on social media, that means you're actually friends. Come on now. <laughs> he did wish me a happy birthday once. Okay, he's your friend. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, it's Brian Hellsworth's birthday today. Dude. Ah, happy birthday, Brian! There you go. Excellent. <laughs> yeah. This one's for you, pal. Okay. <laughs> Knife making pet peeves. What you got? Oh. Knife making pet peeves. Yes. Oh. They don't have to seeing, be real. They you know what? Be imagined seeing, co seeing copper on the edge of a knife. Yes, I, that's it, a, it's trendy that's a, now. It is very trendy. I I don't mind copper in the pattern, but when it comes down to the cutting edge. Oh right. Oh, I, wow. I, I want to yeah. see those copper patterns in five years. I want to see a five year old. Uh, yeah, I'm interested. Very interested yeah. to see this too. Yeah, throwing yes. the nickel yes. in there that I understand either as a carbon barrier yeah. or because pure nickel will stop carbon migration. Um, but uh. You know, it remains shiny as nickel, but I wonder what oh, the yeah. what the corrosion is going to be on that copper I, once it starts to bite. I think it's going to look great. I think it's going to look cool. Well, uh, you know, it'll, it'll age. Ones, yeah. It'll, yeah. it'll it'll get kind it'll of darker. Age. It, yeah, yeah. It'll, it, it won't be as noticeable, but when you do look but at it's it, gonna it's going to scratch gonna... anytime you use a knife. The face oh, yeah. it gets oh yeah abuse. Well, I mean, yeah, yeah, for sure. every knife scratches if you well, use Well, let's, let's yeah, face it, Kumai. You know, I think a lot of soft. those guys are making Kumai just as wall hangers. Yeah. Right. I would go with that. You know. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I would really like to, ha like, I think, you know how you get the really black steel? Yeah. And then you get the nickel layer in there with the nice white popping yeah. off of it. Right. And then get get a nice big fat chunk of some sort of copper swirled the mask who is it that does that again uh prince prince iron forge works i think is the name of the guy i i think where he puts and i i, I think dennis tyrell has done it too where he puts like the round cutout and then he'll put a piece of round cutout damascus in that cutout yeah yeah I've yeah, seen that. That looks yeah. Really cool. so yeah. so having like a nice black blade with the nickel pattern throughout the blade just like a nice you know something black right. and white popping and then that cutout with a bunch of copper in that cutout 
oh, oh, something about that just yeah on a on a kitchen knife. On I, a chef I think knife? there's a lot of designs that are being explored now that uh, that have true design sense to them. Uh, it's not just uh, I learned a new technique, so I'm going to put it on everything. Like when someone gets mm-hmm. a, a, a power hammer, having never <laughs> had one. What do they do? They yeah. do tapers. Everyone does yeah. tapers. So you can tell in the evolution yeah. of, of a guy's shop what he has. And and when presses became ubiquitous, I remember when nobody had one. Um, yeah. And uh, in fact, I remember my first hydraulic forging press. It was Bob Bergman in Postville, Wisconsin. And he had modified the notching area of an iron worker to swage balls on the end of uh, railing. uh, Why not, right? Well, I'm such an idiot that I looked at that when I was 19 years old and thought, well, that's nice. And then at 24, the forging presses started to to come around and Batson wrote his book on building your own. And I'm like, oh, I I remember those. Why didn't I, you know, Mm -hmm. capitalize on that little bit of information? So just because you know something doesn't mean that you understand it. And that, that yeah. can come back to bite you after yeah. a while. Very true. Yep. Um, uh, I guess a pet peeve of mine is, is, is when you, uh, you know, obviously when you heat treat something and it goes sideways, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, if you can't straighten a knife, you not- can't make a knife. That's uh, so, so because Woots is, is not, super hardenable if you make a really thin knife what will happen is sometimes the cutting edge which turns to martensite uh if you quench it fast enough that wants to expand okay so if you have a really thin edge what will happen is it'll buckle right near the cutting edge and there's nothing you can do about it it'll just it'll buckle one way it'll buckle the other way and it's not much it's just a little the cutting Mm -hmm. edge is just a little like that in it or like sometimes a double back and forth but if you make yeah, it yeah. too thin and you've got it hardened near the edge or it's sand mine maybe or something like that, um, and you go really thin, you can get that where it's, um, you know, during that expansion, it wants to, it's just like a Japanese sword wants to do this thing, right? You know, right. where it curves. Yep. Uh, and um, um, if that edge is too thin, it, it, it'll actually not be able to withstand that oh, yeah. compression load. Yeah, but does, industry solved that problem. They call it A2, and it's an air-hardening yeah. steel. And then you can... Right, the whole thing's hardened. Yeah, that's they it. Put no problem. They a shit ton of alloys in it. Well, you want a knife that's four inches thick? We can harden that. Just make it out of A2. <laughs> <laughs> How yeah, does Woots or... forge weld? If you wanted to it, forge weld Woots into something else? You know, I've been told you can't, but I have two blades here that are from India that show lap welds uh, about a third of the way up from the hilt. Um, I've got one that's a belt and suspenders. There's a rivet through there and then a forge weld of the lap. And there, there is discussion whether or not that was a repair or if they're in wartime production and they have a quarter pound bar here and a three quarter pound bar there, and they just scarf them together and move on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it's, it's extremely common to have, um, bloomery steel tangs welded onto a onto a crucible steel blade and it's usually barely visible uh out of the hilt where you'll see a little okay. lap weld or a clevis weld um, uh, pretty much answers my question yeah. yeah 
And sometimes I, the tips are welded on for like uh, jamhadir, uh, what people call katars. They're they're not okay. katars, they're jamhadir. But uh, it's a battle I lost a long time ago. Um, but sometimes <laughs> the, the tips of those are bloomery steel. So you have a Wootz blade and a bloomery steel tip. Why? Well, it's a good question. Maybe someone one day will have an answer. Oh, okay. <laughs> what probably, do you think probably what your thoughts? I, I think it's because sometimes the Wootz is brittle and they just avoid it mm-hmm. by, by throwing ah. on a different material on the tip. Good call. Okay. Yeah. You know, but, but as everyone knows, uh, it, it'll, it can cut a silk scarf in midair and you can wear it as a belt and uh, it only cuts people that are bad. And um, let's see, what are some of the other ones? Yeah. Um, it's is, lighter it's called, than normal steel. Yeah, right. The traditional Damascus that you're talking about. Yeah, yeah the crucible this, steel yeah, stuff. Is, yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Some of the um, folklore. Right. Yes. Yes. Yeah. 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 Can well, cut a right. can cut a, another sword in half. Oh yeah. There's that one. Actually, yeah. I held yeah. a blade in Jodhpur, India. There was a conference there, and uh, I got to hold a blade, got pictures and everything. Um, it was with with the guy's family since it was new, and his ancestor was a prince in the area, and that very blade that he handed me to to look at had cut an uh, an enemy prince and his horse in half. Yeah, there wasn't a scratch Whoa. on it. Yeah, it was a really nice blade. Um, now, do I think that he killed this other prince? Yeah, that's a historical record thing. Did he cut a fully armored prince and armored horse in half? Um, then you're talking some Matrix stuff, you know, where you have a three-foot yeah. blade, but it cuts an eight-foot <laughs> car in half. Um, you know, it, well, he might have killed them first and then just kind of slowly was, cut him up. I, yeah. It wasn't it, <laughs> One well, I, slice was never yeah. mentioned here, right? right. Yeah. 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 It, it yeah cut, you didn't say you yeah. did it all at once. Yeah. Well, there's there's a video on one of my uh, uh, YouTube uh, videos there of Alan Williams, Dr. Alan Williams and Dr. David Edge from the Wallace Collection. They have a portable Vickers hardness tester. Yeah, that's a big mouthful. But um, they're there and people are handing them blades and they're putting this hardness tester on different parts of the blade. And because of the curvature and how the hardness tester works, um, you you have to have an area that you can really bear down on. Um, So there are a couple erroneous readings, but you can hear them ticking off the numbers in the video. And as you get close to that tip or that edge, those numbers jump. So these were not through hardened blades. They were edge hardened. Um, and uh, at that all-war armory, they had uh, maybe 20 uh, curved blades, uh, shamshir, that just means sword. Um, but they had 20 of them lined up, and the light was good. And you can see the dark Martin Siddick edge on all of them. And if they were not identical, they were close enough to where my eye would call them identical. So they were hmm, dealing wow. with cross-sections and hardened abilities, just like in the Japanese and Chinese and Korean hmm. techniques, um, because that technology moved from mainland China through Korea and into Japan, uh, that curved blade hamon kind of thing. Um, but mm-hmm. depending on who you talk to, that's not how that worked. Um, in the Thailand and, and Laos and Cambodia as well, uh, for that matter. Um, because trade didn't only go one the way. The shape is what 
They 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 cross section the cross section and cross grain area. Yeah, cross section yeah. and grain size. Yeah. So you could take a wedge of A2 and heat it up to proper everything, and it'll through harden. And you could take a piece of um, 1080, right? Let's look at 1080 that doesn't have a high alloy content, not a lot of manganese. It's got like, well, I don't know, 0.2, 1 point, or 0.13 manganese, just off-the-shelf stuff. Um, and if you cook that, uh, that bar, say you ground that bar into a wedge, right? No foraging, you bought it bought it as a bar you ground it into a wedge and you put that thing in your uh furnace your forge and you cook it to welding temperature and uh set it aside right so you had it at welding temperature for a minute right there's nothing in that steel to stop grain growth right so it's going to grow grain quickly longer you soak it bigger the grain gets within reason um, you could cook it long enough to where when you take it out and it comes to room temperature, you drop it on the floor and you're picking up pieces. You can remove all the strength from that piece. But let's say you hit welding wow. temperature, pull it out, let it cool. Scale aside, you know, the loss you're going to get to that dimension through scale. If you were to take the, the other parent bar that you took that section from, put them both in the kiln, both in the salt pot, fluidized bed, whatever you got. Um, and you had them, you know, vice gripped with a little spacer in between. So they both have the same thermal history. And you pulled them out and quenched them. That blade that had been cooked at welding temperature will harden through a thicker cross section than the one that was off the shelf. And if you took a third piece with the off the shelf uh-huh. and you thermocycled that to reduce the grain, you know, uh, uh, 1650, 1600, 1550, 1500, and walked it down until you weren't getting um, any uh, carbon into solution, whatever that magic number in your mind is. Um, and then quench that with the other two samples. Um, you would see that Won't the harden. thermocycle one would barely harden. Um, yeah. That the one off the shelf is probably a grain size of 8 to 12. And it's it's a real number. Okay, so yeah, yeah. Please, can I do the explanation now? Probably should. Yes, yes. Please. Here's, I'll I'll put that in in layman's terms. What the hell is going on? So we literally just did this with my students like yesterday. Uh, We were measuring grain size. Okay, so what we did was we took we took three different types of steel: ten twenty, ten forty five, and ten eighty or W1, that was a 1% carbon or something like that. And we, we, we put one of them in the furnace and then they were cold drawn bars. So they're, you know, I, we, we want to normalize it. So normalizing, put them in the furnace, let them air cool. Okay. Mm-hmm. Heat them up, let them hundred degrees above the uh, upper critical temperature. So like, I don't know, 50, each one is a little bit different temperature, but you let it air cool. Okay. Then the other group, we took that same sample, we put it in the furnace, 2,000 degrees Fahrenheit, so freaking nuked it for three hours, okay? And then we take and we look at them under the microscope, and they have to measure the size of the little grains in there, and it's an exponential curve. So um, uh, the grain size number, uh, a normal, a good number would be like seven, okay? 
Um, the big, the bigger the number, the finer the grain. It's an exponential, and like, so a three is really coarse, and a um, a seven or an eight is is pretty fine. Okay. Okay. And so um, there's a bunch of different ways to measure it. We put it under the microscope. We take a picture of it, and then we count the grains, and then we look at the area there, and we get a grains per area kind of thing. Oh yeah. And so then what we do is, you know, we look at the tensile strength the hardenability of it, okay? And what Rick was just talking about is the fine grain stuff, which was normalized, the one we air cooled, you know, like when you thermal cycle something, that's what you're doing, yeah. you're getting a really fine grain, yeah, yeah. except you're, you're screwing yourself on hardenability because it becomes less hardenable. It's gonna be better from an impact standpoint and all that kind of stuff, but you might not through harden it then. So huh. the one that you, the one that you heated up nuclear hot and let it air let it furnace cool down it's the grain size was five or four and a half which is pretty big okay yeah okay i'll tell you the reason and, and so you quench that and that stuff will harden now this is the reason why uh before we were talking about the um, carbides nucleating instead of on the grain boundaries uh inside the grains because we have some vanadium or something in there on the wood stuff okay but um now what you gotta think about is where does perlite start to form? Perlite is the unhardened stuff. Perlite is when we don't have hardened material, it forms this iron carbide, right? It takes time to form. And so when we harden something, we're trying to prevent that from happening. Where does it grow? It grows on the grain boundary. You got a lot of grain boundaries? Perlite is gonna nucleate almost immediately, okay? Whereas if you have very few grain boundaries, the perlite has less Holy places shit. to start to grow and that's why a coarse grain material yeah. is, is is so so it's the absence of heart of of perlite growth is what we're trying to promote in order to for to, to prevent perlite from forming you eliminate the places where it wants to grow which is grain boundaries and therefore <laughs> it's more hardenable it's going to be shit though oh my god my brain right? <laughs> this is awesome so, you're welcome so anyway yeah so so perlite soft right perlite and ferrite is soft that's what happens it takes time for that to happen what we're trying to do is prevent that from happening how do we prevent it we cool it so fast it doesn't form if we got places where it forms that forms real easily i'm going to have to quench it in water instead of in in oil okay so grain boundaries are really important but if you have too many of them you might screw yourself out of some hardenability mm -hmm. But if you're going for a controlled oh, home, okay. then it's Whoa. fine. Yeah. Forge and fire. So I'm like, I'm asking Ben Abbott, Ben, what the frick is going on there? This dude is like in the furnace, he pulls it out, it doesn't harden. In the furnace, pulls it out, it doesn't harden. And then the third time it hardens. What do you think is happening? The freaking grain size is getting bigger every time he puts it in there and overheats it. So the third <laughs> time he pulls it out of the furnace, you got a big grain size. And that's why it freaking falls apart when they smash it against something, right? Yeah. Well, studio lights come into play there, too. I mean, there's a reason possibly. why blacksmith shops are kind of dark. Or dark, the Japanese yeah. quench when uh, when the light's right or it's an auspicious day or whatever you want well, to turn into a the tradition. The other thing ben, ben said is that they're in a super big hurry. When does martensite start to form? 400 degrees or below, right? So if you take your thing out of the furnace, you quench it, 
and it's at like 700 degrees. You yeah. The file digs into it. Of course, you haven't freaking formed Martin's site yet, dumbass. Right. You got it, but they're in a hurry. So they're, I don't know, your brain probably goes to mush. And so, um, so the idea is you have to get it to room temperature or below. I mean, some steels, you got to go to negative 100 degrees. They cryogenically treat it in order to get it to where yeah. it's going to completely harden. I don't know. But that's also created this whole, I don't know what you want to call it, um, ideology within the blacksmithing world, the bladesmithing world that, oh, I want to see the flame when I pull my knife out and I want to, oh, right, you know, right. I want to see it smoking. I want that, that, that no show idea for what YouTube. You're talking about. Yeah. No idea at yeah. all. Yeah. Yeah, Rick is, is is cringing here because in his video, which hopefully you'll watch at some point, if you go on Nova uh, Secrets of the Viking Sword, he pulls the sword out of the. I'm sure, I'm sure you know you had to do some cinema, cinematography there, Rick. Oh no, that he was well. I mean, that was part and, of it, but that blade had 1.4 percent carbon, so a, a a a through quench would not have been a good thing. Ah. Right, so you pull it out to to slow down the the right. cooling rate. Yeah, and then the, it also looked cool. It it looked really good. I was able to blow it out, which was the <laughs> coolest part. What people don't know about that is we had one camera for that shoot, and that was the third quench on that piece. Oh, yeah. really? What happened the other two times? Um, well, the first time the camera positioning was wrong. The second time the cameraman oh, no, said, that's no fucking cool. Um, no. And the, maybe it's the other way again. around. God maybe he you. said that the first time, <laughs> but the, 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 the third one was, was the one that looked the best. Yeah. So, and the blade didn't love suffer. TV. Yeah. The blade didn't suffer because you can quench as many times as you want until the blade breaks. My record is really? 11. Yeah, wow. I punched the Tonto eleven times before I got the hamon I wanted. So, huh. but Holy. don't forget what we were just talking about a couple of seconds ago. You keep on heating. If you overheat it each one of those times, you're going to have grain growth. Okay. Yeah. Rick is smart, so he's got temperature yeah. control on his furnaces, so he's not well, doing that, that. That was all by eye, and I ended up at eighteen hundred Fahrenheit and a brine quench. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I know. Weird. I tried, you know, started out with oils uh, and uh, I had pre-curved because you get a down curve with oil. And then I moved to water. And then finally I got really mad and I did the final quench. I cooked the hell out of it and then did a brine quench. Everything right on the cusp of failure. And it popped. It, it was it was a beautiful hamon. But the carbon level was low, and the grain size was low, and uh, it was steel I made, so there was no alloying element in there. Yeah. So you What's can. Happening? Pardon? Sorry. Go ahead. No, sorry. Well, there's. It. This is all a sliding scale. If all you do is 1095, and you get the steel from the same supplier, and you ask for the chemistry, and by some miracle you get the same lot. You know, so you're making a knife a month, but they're not selling a lot of product. So you might order one last year that's from the same heat lot as the one right. you're getting this year. And then your heat treatment's going to be the same. But if you're buying and you get uh, just a stamp on it that says 1095 with no chemistry certs and no origin 
and nothing traceable, it might be W1. It might be 1074 that they just sell as 1095 because who cares? So Hmm. assuming you have the same steel all the time is a pretty big assumption, right? Uh, Now factor into that that you're making it from dirt or from component parts and Mm -hmm. you have no way of telling what it is unless you have a tradition and that's how traditions develop you do it the same way over and over you get the dirt from that riverbank you get the ore from that mountain you got to appease the right deities and then everything works you know if i had to stand on my left foot and 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 do an incantation i'd be standing and incanting because that would be the tradition Number now, three is the most important. Right. And then when you get displaced, because people do from natural disasters or war or whatever, now you don't have that riverbank clay anymore. You got a different mm-hmm. mountain and different deities to pray yep. to. So now you've got a different tradition. So things evolve, right? Which is why with crucible steel, the woots over a quarter of the planet for 1500 years, one might think there's a little variation from time to time. But in modern traditions, we take it that if we get the 1095, that it's 1095. Well, if you talk to a steel mill, um, it it isn't. It varies. They they get really close. But if if odds are you're buying an overlot through a broker, so if if it's a small knife sale operation, they're buying whatever is available as that designation of steel. But if you don't have a, a chemistry. Big range. Or, it's a range. Yeah, it's a range. And that's fine. You know, modern steels are fantastic. Even the ones we don't like to use are fantastic. They've got a billion dollars in research and decades behind it. I mean, even the new steels, the powdered metallurgy stuff that's coming out, there's a tremendous amount of science that goes into that. And the controls on accuracy are, the worst thing you can do to a powdered metallurgy blade is think you can forge it and improve the properties. Boy, are you wrong. <laughs> yeah. It comes right. to you pretty yeah. tight. Every time you heat it up, yeah. you're going to grow that grain site. Right. And and the reason why it was made as powdered metallurgy in the first place is to get a really, really, really fine grain size. Right. And then uh, how do you get over the fact that it's got a fine grain size on the hardenability site? Well, you put a crap ton of alloys in it. Oh. That's why it's really expensive. It's expensive for two different reasons. First of all, you're using a powdered metal process where they got to essentially make, you know, um, just like you do in, you know, a canister. <laughs> they're, they're, they're making canisters on large scales where they make the metallurgy and they get the powders mixed. But the whole idea is to make a super fine grain material that you couldn't make by casting. Because to cast that material, it, it sometimes the elements don't even like each other. So they wouldn't make a good yeah. casting. Right. And therefore you do it as a powder, you get fine grain, you get this alloy that you could never produce any other way. And then like we said, yeah, just probably grind that to shape and let's call it a day. Yeah. <laughs> we we talked about pet peeve. We're really close to mine. I mean, I have, I have a few things I like to see happen in the shop. Like don't slam my kiln doors. Right. That's a pet peeve of mine. But um, as far as uh, as the the blade making in general, it the numbers game. So someone has a Rockwell hardness tester that becomes the end all be all test. 
well, my knives are 60 Rockwell. Well, mine are 61. Uh, I've heard of people scrapping their mm-hmm. knives because they were 61 rather than 62. Huh. You, you realize that the hardest part on a human body is our enamel, and it's about 34 Rockwell, give or take. And outside of our teeth, the next hardest thing is about 16 Rockwell on the B scale. Hmm. Not the C. We don't rate. (laughs) Living tissue is soft. That's why skateboarders don't die more often. (laughs) Living osteotissue. I I know. Yeah, well, there you go. If you have a frozen (laughs) cow bone, that is not living tissue. And I've, I've chipped sword blades on frozen cow bone. And somewhere there's a video out there in 4K slow motion with a little chip was, coming out of my sword blade, dinging off into the distance. Just um, talking to, I was just talking to uh, Laren Thomas about this the other day, mm. about the relativeness, relativity of cold to hardness and brittleness. And mm. there's he's got a there's a whole thing discussion he's done on it before. Yeah. Oh yeah, no, nice to brittle transformation. Yeah. Oh um, yeah. Laren Thomas uh, came to my class uh, via Zoom a couple times and talks to my students. And in fact, I should have them this semester again on on um, on tool steels. There's a little thing. You, you were there, right? Rick? Yeah, he, he likes one, the one high one? alloy stuff. And I, coming from the yeah. historical standpoint, are, uh, I, I'm coming at it from a different angle. I my right. Getting back to me, because we're talking about me, not Laren. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> No, Laren's book is at my local uh, my local uh, library. I sent him a picture of it. Uh, I had nothing to do with them ordering it. It was just on the shelf. But um, yeah, Beth is the librarian, by the way. His well, wife. yeah, but she doesn't she doesn't do that. My, my wife is the children's and youth service librarian in town, but that that's got nothing to do with my book buying addiction. Or, it's in the children's section, Rick. No, it isn't. <laughs> <laughs> in the adult honey, section where it belongs. No, honey, it, I bought uh, ten copies. Go put a couple on the shelf. <laughs> there you go. Um, I don't have a signed copy. I think he should. He should take care oh, of that. Oh, yeah, no kidding. But, eh? um, but getting back to the the numbers thing, you know, more people have been killed with bronze tools than steel ones because bronze was around longer, and we tended to use it as the main uh, weapon of choice. So the fact that a work-hardened bronze cut just fine for our ancestors and is superior to iron, not to steel, but to iron in every measurable way, huh. right? So that's why the, the whole bronze thing lasted like it did. You can bury a bronze weapon. If you pick the right soil, you can come back 4,000 years later and go, yep, right, right where I left it. Yep. Do yeah. that to iron. You better have perfect soil and you're going to pull back discolored soil. Right. Huh. So, um, mm-hmm. but steel oh, is, a, is wow. a different animal. Um, and if you want the sharpest sharp that can be, it's a rock. It's obsidian. They still do it. Eye surgery. Oh, yes. Right. Yeah. yeah. The, the modern marble show on the History Channel here in the States, they called me 12 years ago. We're doing a show on sharp. And I said, it's obsidian. And they said, well, we've got experts that are talking about, and I go, you have someone that wants to sell you something. So they're going to say ceramic or lasers or all this whiz bang stuff. Uh, but it's, it's obsidian. And I said, have all your experts call me. And by the time I'm done talking to them, 
they'll tell you it's obsidian, but for the show, you can say whatever you want. Anything that fractures to one atom is going to be sharper than, I mean, that's good. I wanted to ask yeah. like, what's its brittleness like? Oh, it's, it's like 82 Rockwell. And uh, if you look at it cross-eyed, you get two right. flakes rather than one. That's not the point in, yeah. in, in use, in the direction of pull. It's, it's wonderful. But you better be really good at napping uh, to to pull a flake that's that useful. But there there's nothing wrong with an obsidian blade. I mean, every time I play with it, I get more blood on me than than whatever I'm cutting. But um, you know, because it's so sharp and microflakes and all of that. But uh, the the numbers game where everyone's playing with the the only analytical tool they have. It's it has to be one Rockwell harder than what you're cutting, and then you won, right? You could talk about edge stability. You can talk about uh, uh, wear resistance. You can pull all these other factors into it, but what gets a real bum rap in the world is the word adequate. Is it adequate for the purpose? And if the answer is yes, then shut up, because that's it. It just has to be adequate. If you were adequate at everything you did, you'd be pretty fantastic, right? So all the steel has to do what? is hold is the, do the job. And it's nice if it looks good when it's doing it, but it's just got to be adequate. Everyone's racing to an end game that doesn't end, right? Hold on a sec. Hey, Stacy, am I adequate? <laughs> nice. No, don't ask that question. You might not like the answer. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, that, that's that's uh, my pet peeve. That and using all the prizes. paper towels in the shop. That's that's a no go. So what else we've been working on? We got the cast and steel project going on. We did and the sexy anvil project. Uh, we did the meteorites. What do we, we work on? All kinds I, of shit over it, the years. It takes me uh, two days to show someone how to make a knife. I can't do it in one day. I'm not that good. We take two days. Yeah. Um, what are we working on now? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm making some more woots. This is, you know, we're going to have to get some more woots that we can. Yes. I'm kind of down to one or two pieces left. Right. Uh, so Rick and I are, well, are kind of looking at what well, our next go around is for woots, uh, chemistry, yeah. and what we're going to try next. Um, and, you know, always trying to improve the pattern, always trying to improve the, again, um, we're looking for, you know, the, uh, Every man's uh, woots, something that can be forged easily, get a pattern, mm -hmm. and and not have that problem where someone, you know, it didn't work. Right. You know? Yeah. So hopefully we, we can. You can't have that. Yeah. yeah <laughs> for sure. But 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 you know I think you can only go so far. Here's some recommendations on you know how it could be forged. Here's some recommendations, and you know it's 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 not going to be cheap. It's not going to be, uh, I don't even know what we're going to price this stuff at, but um, mm -hmm. it's, it's it's not going to be cheap because it's it takes a lot to make it in the first place. And yeah. to, oh, yeah. Um, right now we're struggling with uh, this. And it's a, the problem is the Canadians, actually. I'll tell you the story here. We'll figure it out. Um, <laughs> oh, well. So, 
yeah, it sounds like it sounds like your uh, health and safety folks have shut down, or let's say maybe have enhanced the timeline for shutting down some of your blast furnaces in Canada. Mm. Uh, I don't know where they are. Yeah. I think they're out in the middle of Canada somewhere. Um, there's a couple of blast furnaces, and they've gone to electric melt. So how that how does that affect what we're talking about right now? Well, I work with the foundry industry, and it turns out that when you don't have virgin material that has zero um, tramp elements in it, what happens is the scrap supply starts to get higher and higher in tramp elements. We're trying to make woots. Rick, what was the deal? You couldn't find the the alloy that you wanted today, right? Right. You, the um, so the stuff we we use to make woots has very very low residuals, low chromium, low manganese, low mm-hmm. everything. Yeah. Almost zeros across the board. And, and so freaking Chinesium. I, <laughs> yeah. So you can't mm-hmm. you can't you can't just put random stuff in there and get woots. Because if you have small yeah. amounts of these other elements, they're they're carbide formers, they're 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 different dirt that Rick was talking about than than the dirt that I used to be able to get. So right now we're kind of scrambling to find the same stuff we've been using. In order to produce what we've been producing, if you so want to make apple have... pie, you can't start with cherries, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah, so, as simple as that, or rotted apples. So, so that scrap that we used to get from Canada, they used to this, they used to sell the scrap down to the United States, um, is no longer available because the the mini mills or the the mills that are now using electric mill up in Canada. And this is just yeah. I was at a talk, and that's what we've been look, talking about. Look into Gerdo. It's in Selkirk, Manitoba. Gerardo? Yeah. It's a steel company? Yeah. They do smelting there. They do. Okay. I, that's where I, I got my billet for my power hammer from them, 10 by 10. Okay. So typically the problem is that the steel has manganese in it. We don't want manganese. Oh. Uh, we want a very, very low manganese content. And well, like they below point three is hard to, hard to find. Um, yeah. There's a blast furnace in uh, where is it? It's near Toronto. There, um, Hamilton. Yeah, there's one down Makes that sense. way. Yep. I think that one's. I think that one's still running. Um, but then there's all of ours are in um, in Gary, Indiana, on the border there, and the, right. or the, the the ore comes up from up in Michigan and in Minnesota. Um, so the problem is there's uh, pig iron. Pig iron is where we get some of the carbon. Uh, or you can, you know, in the foundry, that is, when we're trying to melt down and have a high purity material, pig iron is, is the, the, the product of the blast furnace. You could use pomegranate, it, but you're right. going to have to have someone else. Yeah. Oh, man. Well, guess where it comes yeah. from? Russia and Ukraine. Yeah. Ah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can't, you can't get it from, you can't get it through the UK anymore. Well, Sorel up in, uh, up in, uh, you can get some from the Sorel folks, um, QIT up there in your, your Quebec area up there. Um, yeah, yeah, that's the, they make um, titanium dioxide, and one of the co-products is pig iron. So it's, a, it's contaminated with, with iron. So when they make titanium dioxide for, like, paint pigment and stuff like that, one of the co-products yeah. is, is, is Sorel uh, pig iron. But there's only so much that gets produced, and there's, there's not enough right now. So anyway, the point is, when we're okay. when we're trying to do this stuff, you got to start with the same dirt, and we're having trouble finding that dirt right now. Yeah. 
Canada yeah, makes sure. a lot of stuff. I think it's we a, do. a lot more than people realize. The, one they of the have things a lot of mining people, companies too. Yeah. Well, one of the things people don't realize about Canada is if the world was to turn upside down, Canada is one of the only places in the world that has everything we need to survive. Mm-hmm. We have more than enough resources to keep ourselves going here. It's a very vast country and there's you know, it's it's growing in population quite quickly recently. Um the whole world is, but that's just the right. kind of a political talk we shouldn't get into. No. But Canada has so much untouched territory. There are parts in Canada you can go where you will you will be not surrounded by people for hundreds of oh, kilometers. Yeah. No, I've I've looked at population densities, and you've got some areas that aren't. Yep. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that aren't some areas. You mean? <laughs> Yeah, we have we have yep. a right. couple well, of areas right. that are, <laughs> <laughs> right. yeah, and they tend to overlap into the uh, southern border section there. Hmm. Right. Yeah. Once yeah. I get my uh, bug out vehicle done, I got a Land Rover Defender coming over from Africa. I oh, live over no. there part oh, of the sweet. time, Frick and yeah. uh, I'm going to come. I'm going to come on a Canadian tour. So so. The, I'm going to be, uh, I'll come by and pound on some iron with you guys at some point. So what is this with South Africa? Like that's, that's our connection right there. You were in South Africa. You were hanging out with Niels Vandenberg. We got to meet you through can iron and now we've. Oh, right, right. Right. Yeah. 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 I was, it was this, this show, right? Well, it was, was, it wasn't, it was can iron virtual, which we brought up earlier on the show. And right, yeah, right. that was which is essentially why Forge Side Chat exists is because of Canon right. Virtual and and Magical Life so Guild. But yeah, so so uh, oh, I did a sabbatical there as a professor. I worked with the University of Johannesburg. I go over. We we found out we liked it. I got a bunch of vehicles over there. We go and screw off into the bush and look at elephants and stuff like that. So dude, um, awesome. And uh, so Niels Vandenberg is. I kind of saw him on Instagram and started talking to him he was interested in woots contacted me and he's like come on by if you're in johannesburg so a buddy of mine uh uh and myself we we got jumped in his land rover and drove up he's about he's like kind of out in the bush and so we kind of i went out there and the happened the day we were there they were doing that that uh chat thing with can iron and uh and he goes hey kyle come on in here and and say hi to the Canadians. Dude, I, could, you, could you imagine if that wouldn't have been that day? This wouldn't. Yeah. I'm so, so grateful that this has unfolded like this. Could you? You'd, oh, you'd be man. able to spend two and a half hours doing anything else. Think about that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, his his shop is pretty amazing. Um, he's li- literally in the middle of nowhere. Uh, we saw kudus and all kinds of game coming into his place. Um, and and uh pre- pretty cool pretty cool and he's got he's got a really cool operation there he's a super sharp guy and uh i think yeah. he's, he, he'll he'll he's going down to the uh show. It, it, the problem is that when i go in july is typically when i go is is they're coming back here to go to knife show and in, in uh, right. uh and down show. in georgia there yeah blade show yeah so a lot of the guys i want to see when i'm over there are over here when I'm over there, yeah. So you don't get to go down to Blade Show either, then? Uh, yeah, you know, we'll see. I, you know, at some point, 
you know, I think we'll, you're gonna have to if you if you develop this yeah, week into a thing, dude. Right. I know it's gonna it's gonna be have to be some marketing going on there. So the the Baltic bison is starting to take effect. I've said dude like ten times in the last uh, <laughs> Baltic bison. What the hell is that? Apple so, cinnamon what? It's a it's a it's vanilla. Yeah, it. I, this it's is supposed to be a. It's supposed to be a dessert drink that you can pour over ice cream, and it's absolutely delicious. It's distilled right here Ooh. in Manitoba, Winnipeg. Do, do they made make by a Baltic chocolate? Mm. Uh, they make a cherry. That'll work. I'm in cherry yeah. country here. <laughs> yeah. No. Well, you know, I'm gonna have to go get some of that. It's. I always uh, bring back some really good gin when I come back from Africa. If you if you come up to Canada, you're you're gonna have to bring some back because I think that's where you're gonna have to go to get it. Yeah, well, you know, I think I've gone to Canada for alcohol more than two hundred times. Uh, <laughs> I, grew up, I grew up on the border, and the drinking age was nineteen in, in Canada, yeah, buddy, and it yeah. was twenty one where I was coming from. So we would just drive over to the beer store. Yeah, and, yeah, uh, and pick up. Who's some, your buddy? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> so I, I nowadays you totally get around. I mean, I totally get get thrown in jail probably trying to bring you know uh, under uh, twelve underage kids in my station wagon bringing back beer. <laughs> nah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we used to go over to um, what we used to call the Canadian Ballet, if you know what that means. Oh, the good old rippers. Well, we go across the border to Fort Erie to, or, you yeah. know, because that, right, yeah, because yeah. all the, what, which know, province? The, uh, the, it's, yeah. it's in, it's in Ontario. Just oh, okay. The border. You got oh. the, you got the true ballet. <laughs> oh, yeah. 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 That's the Canadian ballet yeah. for sure. Yeah. My buddy was dating. Uh, I don't know. There. Go to, uh, oh go my God. Back. Go to yeah, well, the, yeah, the French Canadians come else. down from there, though. And yeah, most, yeah. Most of the, yeah. Most of the people yeah, dancing yeah. there are from from there. Yeah. Does yeah. Quebec does oh, Quebec yeah. have the the hands hands on rule as well? I'm not uh, I sure, so. I, I, but I I can't remember there yeah. was much restrictions of any sort. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> the thing with Ontario. Ontario is yeah. like no hold barred. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's not the same where you guys wow. are. No, in Winnipeg, they're no. allowed, well, Manitoba, they're allowed to kind of kind of touch you, I guess, but that's about as far as it goes. You're not allowed to touch them, that's for sure. Yeah. My, my first experience at a strip club in Ontario was sitting down to have some drinks with my friends, and what I thought was a waitress walking up to me, and I was bombarded by what I was expecting to be drinks and it wasn't drinks. It was something else large and flesh like in my face. <laughs> Depending on your age category, it could have it could have been drinks. <laughs> <laughs> I would think that that's so, a niche uh, market right there. But uh Yeah and I've been told, I haven't seen it personally, but apparently in Vancouver there's some clubs where they 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 it, it's it goes beyond x-rated there man so wow. yeah yeah, yeah i tend not to yeah. go to those anymore yeah <laughs> yeah, I, 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 yeah to be honest it's been it's a waste of money I a think. long time well, well i mean so I'd, I'd rather waste 
rather waste my money in other places. That's the thing. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. For fun, I just go to bakeries and look through the glass and then leave. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. What do you guys? What do you guys do in your off time for fun? What do you do outside of metalworking? Wow, for fun. Yeah. Uh, I blow blow stuff up. Yeah. That's fucking awesome. What about yourself there, Rick? I I don't have any fun ever. Fun's not in your vocabulary. No. No. (laughs) He goes into the shop. It's all all metalworking related, right? Well, for fun, I do other metals. So I'm. <laughs> oh, well, there you go. I yeah. just a different direction here, which is not the parlay of what we were going to talk about. But I work with a guy named David Barnhill, who lives happens to live a hundred miles south of me, uh, and he's a world class mokume artist. So that oh, Japanese, awesome. yeah. yeah. So he comes up, and we we play. We're working on stuff now that is a, a truly beyond what other people are doing. Um, and, but I, I not going to talk about it and I can't show you what it is because it's his stuff. Uh, pattern wise, patterns and applications. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's it's completely new. Copper. So what's he do? Copper, silver. What are these? All kinds of stuff. Yeah. Non, non iron based, non ferrous based stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And then for my own stuff, I'm coming out with, uh, titanium, uh, materials that are, (sighs) are unlike whatever else is out there. I've been like, working on that for about eight years now. It is the titanium Damascus stuff. Well, Damascus is a that's a uh, copywritten name, but yeah, okay. it's laminated material, right? Nice. And then also titanium and coppers and titanium and steels, and it's just Whoa. all new stuff. Yeah, very awesome, dude. So I, I find awesome. that fun. Cool. It's expensive. I have yeah. yeah miles of mistakes there um but i don't tell anyone about that stuff it's not on any of my social media it's just not it doesn't exist uh until it does but you know what until it does right that's where you learn that's where you learn well and most of most of the stuff i do doesn't get publicized um my clients don't want it uh i don't have to advertise yeah um, yeah. so I don't, oh, I don't, I don't spend, yeah. and I'm so happy that I'm not doing that. So you don't get pictures of my food and I don't do daily updates <laughs> or weekly updates or yearly updates. You, so you should get in contact with Timber Tiger Forge. He has a connection for titanium at a very good price rate. That might help you out a little bit. Maybe. What was the Look first at us, word? Just timber tiger. Timber tiger. Forge. Okay. Yeah. Just the notes are flying tonight, hey? Yeah. Yeah, I got. I have this <laughs> desk. I have this desk, and I basically I cover it with paper. I just tape paper, like butcher paper, around my desk, and I just write on it. Oh yeah. That's interesting. <laughs> yeah. That's, That's a really good idea. All, yeah. All around my. That's a really good here, idea. Is. You know, I got Broad Broad River Forge, Timber Tiger, Baltic Bison, <laughs> stuff I'm gonna <laughs> drink, know. stuff I'm gonna <laughs> yeah. nice. I love it. It's just written on my table. Oh, it's awesome. I can't That's lose it yeah. then. Yeah, it's right. Really for awesome. sure. Yeah. yeah, you can. Uh, you lose it like you did oh, with yeah, thirty thousand emails that disappeared in <laughs> uh, I'm I'm bad at email. 
I'll admit it. I'm bad at email. <laughs> right now, I'll I'll look at my I'll look at my my let me see here on my email. Right. Well, I, I just have, gave up. I don't want to know. Uh, you see, forty nine thousand unread messages. Yeah. <laughs> Holy jeez. <laughs> yeah. I haven't checked your email in five years or what? Kyle's four hours away from me, and sometimes it's easier just to drive there. You know what? You know what's really easy? You go over to this little setting and you click on it, and it says "Read All," and then you don't have all those unread. Oh yeah, but here's the thing: it's just all that. I keep them because you know someday I might read them. <laughs> There's probably really important ones in there. There's probably really important ones that I was probably supposed, to, something I was supposed yeah. to do. Uh, uh, yeah. And I can go back and read what Did they you? were afterwards. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, I can't stand freaking email and I all the, the bullshit freaking messages you get that you don't want that you have to worry about filtering through on a regular basis. Yeah. People talk about like, oh, well, everything's digital nowadays. Why are you even bothering with paper? It was easier. I I want things to be on paper. It was freaking easier. Someone someone had to write a letter to you. Yeah, you had to actually physically yeah. go write a letter. Yeah, it's a the barrier st- to entry. I'll still write a letter occasionally. Yourselves? When I was your age, we would lick a skin. <laughs> no, I, no, I, 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 I don't trust people that don't have a sketchbook. Like I, yeah. I, I do see people that have a tablet and they draw on the tablet and then it saves it as a sketch and that's pretty cool. Yeah. But um, boy, I've got piles of sketches, much like your emails that I will never look at, but they help you work through an idea, right? Yeah. At least me. I mean, yeah. everyone's wired a little different, but yeah, yeah. Man, I've I wish I could physically do it. Yeah. Yeah. Physically do something. Yeah. I wish I could come hang out with you guys. Just no, you don't. So you say that in. now, but then the reality creeps in. Where you're like, re- this is some crazy shit. This going was on a mistake. At my, my right I now. shouldn't have come. <laughs> There's some crazy wow. stuff going on at my shop. Yeah, forty thousand degree freaking iron or steel getting poured the other day. Uh, crazy well, stuff. Tell them about the, the pumpkins. Uh, yeah. Tell them about. Oh the- yeah. So every year we have an iron pour uh, for Halloween. And so what we do is we make carve jack-o'-lanterns and all that kind of thing. And I will make, um, you could probably find it on the internet. I'll see if I can flip you a, a link. Cause I never get the videos. I'm the one doing it. We oh, made yeah. a Rube Goldberg device por- powered by molten iron. Oh my so God. Th- this that is, sounds so you, dangerous. We, I love we it. We poured molten <laughs> iron into it. There was a water wheel, which turned gears which turned other gears, which rotated parts around with pumpkins on them. And we filled up molten metal into pumpkins as it rotated around, almost like a revolver kind of thing. And then the, as oh. it went around, the pumpkins vomited molten that, iron out. The that front was of them, the cool like, part. Uh, yeah. 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 So that was, so every, every Halloween we do an iron pour. It uses a cupola furnace. We got 2,400 degrees iron coming out of it, and we pour a bunch of molds and stuff. It's more on the foundry side of things. See, I want to fuck. I want to come hang out with you guys. Damn it! Well, that that raises an interesting point: is that that bronze, liquid bronze, which we all know many cultures played with, 
melts and pours, more importantly, pours, at the same temperature that cast iron is capable of being liquid. So the jump from from bronze to cast iron is very minimal. Huh. The jump to steel, right. that's a different animal. But some yeah, cultures would pour animal. cast iron and then decarburize the surface, essentially making a steel tool with a ductile iron center. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, okay, so the guys that you're talking about in Quebec, I'm pretty sure there's a gentleman that's got a connection to them and he's using their steel for making ductile anvils. Yep, yep, mm-hmm. ductile iron. Uh, so Sorel produces the low residual um, iron you know, units that they'll melt down and make ductile iron out of. And you can make, you could make an anvil out of ductile iron or better out of steel, but you can make an anvil out of ductile iron. You can, you know, a bunch of castings too. What, suspension what was your PhD your car, in again, Kyle? It was on duct, well, it was on like the stiffness of those types of iron. So I've probably poured, <laughs> I don't know, 20 tons of, of cast iron at some point in my life. Uh, wow. Most of them, you know, we make our own molds and all that kind of stuff. We make, my student, I'll give you an idea what we're making this semester. Let me see. My one of my students is making a um, a grate for some 1800s house, the grate that, uh, um, you know, where the air register is. Is it for Uh No, this is for some dude in Iowa. Huh. Um, and it was broken. There was a part missing. So we 3D scanned it, and we took that part on the other side, and we imaged it over on this side. Now we 3D print that part, and we're going to then cast that in iron. Um, yeah. We're working on the wood stuff. We're working on um, a waffle iron. One of the students is making a waffle iron. Another one's making a tortilla maker. Uh, if only there was a going? place to get maple syrup. Steel. Oh, huh. I had a student. Weird. I had oh, a student hey. that made my, a maple syrup. Maple syrup. Uh, actually, not syrup. Maple sugar blade. So when you want to make maple sugar, are you honestly describing how to do a maple product to a group of Canadians? Is that, no, I'm not. Uh, how I, to do I, okay, so I thought you were going to ask Western me if I'm secretly drinking maple syrup. <laughs> Some Western Canadian. <laughs> yeah, Western Canadian. We're not really. We're not no, maple syrup people. No, because it's it's no. it's the maple no. trees which are out east, right? They're yeah, here. Yeah, we got them here too. We got them here in Manitoba. We know yeah, you've got Manitoba maples. Yeah, there's Manitoba maples. We get we yeah. get and birch birch syrup is becoming yeah. a huge thing, man. Huh. Really, yeah. I've never yeah. had birch syrup. Growing up, growing well, up in the Adirondack beer. Mountains yeah. in in New York uh, in the summers, you know they had a they had the sugar house and all the the stuff. I know a guy that does maple syrup here, but they. Yeah, they actually have these big bars that we duck. We made it went on a ductile iron. So we've done. I don't know. We've made connecting rods for yeah. steam locomotives. We've we've done all kinds of crazy stuff. But Very most awesome. of that is is cast. So that's kind of I kind of live in both the. You know, a lot of my students they'll they'll start forging on stuff and then like, well, you know, I could go three D print a pattern and just cast that in iron. <laughs> I don't yeah. have to pound on anything. <laughs> Yeah, well, there you go. Yeah. Fair enough. But, yep. but uh, for for most, you know, for the decorative stuff, they want to do, you know, forging and stuff like that. So, so yeah. if someone in high school was looking to do something at the college level as a trade, what do you recommend? 
I would say, you know, um, the foundry industry is really good. The forging industry is good around us. Um, and so if you came and did, so my program uh, at the at UW-Platteville, so I teach at the two different universities, um, at University of Wisconsin-Platteville, our program is a manufacturing technology. So the students awesome. that come through there would go come out and they would be process engineers, they would be metallurgists, they would be someone that, um, you know, controls, make sure that what the customer ordered is is produced on, on on the floor. So somewhere between someone that is you know you know in the engineering area and then someone also that goes on the floor and gets stuff done. So we kind of like uh -huh. my students uh -huh. can Dreaming. live in both worlds. Fuck yeah! Yeah, it's a pretty it's a pretty cool. What's the timeline? It line? is a pretty cool job. Uh, it's a four year program. Nice. Four year program. Nice. Oh, wow. Depending on what you come in with, if you if you transferred, you you could. So we, we do get students. I have, I have one student from Canada. That's that student that's working in the heat treatment stuff now. But uh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And I and I do have cohorts in Canada. You know, other professors that I, I work with. So you know, I think uh, the the, for, the blacksmithing. Uh, let me see universities. Uh, what's Mohawk College? Uh, it's we, they're out east. Yeah, I'm trying um, to remember the name of the guy in Toronto. We had him on our show. Wow. Oh my gosh, Bonifab. Bonifab. Huh. What was it? he? Was a steel guy? Yeah, he's a, he's a professor at a college when it cut for uh, machining which, which, and welding. Algonquin oh, College. Okay. Um, Algonquin. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it's not. It's his name's not Bonifab. It's oh, but well, that's his. That's his thing on Instagram is Bonifab. Okay. And YouTube. I'll, he's I'll he's a good dude. Yeah. Yeah. You guys would probably get along great when it comes to the being teachers and exchanging knowledge. Yeah. Wait, yeah, you mean I there's two of them there. out there? Is that what you're trying to tell me? <laughs> you know, probably metallurgy, yeah, a couple of them. Metallurgy is a broad topic. You know, whether it's solid state beating on something and heat treating it or casting it, it yeah. it's it's kind of all the same. And and so I, I my my toes in a bunch of different you know uh, pools of water and and I, I think I just I kind of love the stuff. It's it's really it's really fun to it's problem solving. You know why did that thing crack in half? Let's look at it on the microscope. Let's let's look at the chemical composition. Let's look at the grain size. Let's, it's it's like being a detective. Yeah, uh, I love it. Yeah, and. and uh, and hopefully I can impart at least enough knowledge to, you know, people that I work with or whatever, that students that when they get out, they can solve problems, you know, uh, for their employers or whatever. So anyway, that's, that's the area that I teach and, um, love to have more students, you know, if you got young people that are interested in it, have them send them my way. And we'll, I'm sure there's some sort of, even a transfer program that where we could get some credit for classes taken up in Canada and then coming down here, you know? Um, love yeah. to, love I, to I have see a that. 19 year old here that absolutely doesn't want to become a blacksmith. If you can do something for him, that'd be. <laughs> I'll talk to him next time I'm up there. <laughs> I, I I see such a good crossover bet between you and Bonifab, dude. Like the Bonifacio. Oh, uh, frick! There's his. That's his actual name. Is Bonifacio Robert Bonifacio? Why can't I think of his first name? Oh, wait, I've got the list of everybody I've had on the podcast right here. It'll be on this list somewhere. Uh, Sounds like the bison Jordan? got to you. That's what. 
Jordan it's... Bonifacio? Jordan? No. Why am I not seeing his name on the list? Algonquin College. I think he was part of the 12 Hoseheads episode as well. That we had 12 (laughs) people for a Christmas slash New Year's episode that was an absolute gong show of a show. Rob Bonifacio. (laughs) Rob Bonifacio of Bonifab Custom, located in Caledonia, Ontario. Sorry, Rob, I can't believe I forgot your name. Me and him used to talk a lot, and he's become so freaking busy with social media that I just, I'm like, you know what, man, this guy's busy. I'm not going to bombard him with all of my questions. He's got enough going on. Oh, he's so. done all kinds of stuff. Pizza oven is the same dude? Yep, that's the guy right there, Bonif- man. Bonificio Customs. That's him, man. That's my man. Shave those welds. The other thing I wanted to bring up in regards to what you're doing. So I went to college for welding. It was a one-year program. And I Mm -hmm. had the choice of going to a different college for a two-year program. And I chose the one-year program because I was like, well, why take it for two years if I can take it for one year and get the same credentials, right? Just kind of adds up, makes sense. But when I took welding, I was in a spot in life where I was very much questioning, what am I doing? doing with myself i was working for a construction company that did restoration of um homes and businesses after floods and fires it was a dirty job it's it it was and it was an amazing job i absolutely look back on that with so much love that i went through that process in life because number one i learned a ton and number two i worked with some amazing people that i really cherish that time uh well there's another story there anyways um when i went into welding i didn't know what to do and actually when i talk about the company that i worked for there one of the gentlemen the questionable gentleman to be honest um he pushed me towards welding and the main reason was welding for welding was well like you like to build things right and i was like yeah i love building things that's what i you, obviously it's what i like to do is build things where that's what we do and well carpentry wasn't what i wanted to do i didn't see a love in carpentry for some reason wood building homes whatever just it wasn't my jive at the time i really wish i would have taken more time to learn it better any at that point in time but anyways i went into welding had I had the option now to look back on everything and tell myself what I wanted to take, what I should have taken, what you're offering, Kyle, is exactly what I wish I would have taken because it puts you in a world of not, you're, you're going to get into, you're going to get into the welding. You're going to get into the fabrication kind of stuff. You're going to get into the metallurgy. You're going to get into, into all of it it's not gonna be like no this is this is what you do and that's all you do no what you're offering is a course that opens up a million freaking doors for somebody i love it yeah our students go into all different you know types of quality sometimes they're quality engineers in a facility to try to solve problems uh i get students designing castings for john deere you know like big tractor parts um i've got students that are presidents of i saw one today uh, we had a advisory council meeting and one of my students 
uh, runs a foundry up and they make uh, 80,000 pound castings. Holy crap. That's huge. Iron castings. That's so awesome, dude. <laughs> That's so awesome. Now, now what I in charge of the whole thing. Now, what I said, I don't want to take away from the welding industry either because welding is an amazing no, thing. It's opened up so no, many doors for me, right? Yeah. I wouldn't be where I'm at looking back on that without welding. Well, right, welding right. has taken me where I am now. You, people might you look at you. fast. You can. Mm-hmm. Great. Yeah. Not going away. Uh, yeah. So what? What? Hey, what what are you what are you working on now what is your uh what was your occupation you not you said you weren't doing the blacksmithing full-time what do you what do you actually do i work in research and development for a uh, bus manufacturing company oh cool yeah it's it's all it's pretty good like i love the job itself what i do for work is pretty awesome Sometimes it's a little hit or miss on certain days, you know, like uh, today I was setting up a a cooling, a a brand new compressor that we're testing for a hybrid uh, drive system. Um, So this compressor needs to run off of a cooling unit as well, which also cools the uh, hybrid drive system. And we're playing around with flow rates on it, trying to get the right flow rates by programming the pump to the certain speeds, which is also uh, there's there's byproducts to what happens by playing with those pump speeds, whether you're going to start getting air into the system or drawing air out of the system. And the, there's certain parameters that we're wanting to, to achieve by doing all this stuff. And it's just, you know, engineers come up with these ideas. A lot of the times they write up reports and say, this is exactly what we want you to do. You go you start doing these these testings that they want you to do. The engineers get involved because you're telling them like, hey, this this isn't working the way you guys planned it out to work. And I kind of <laughs> see things working in a different manner. Yeah. <laughs> see things working in a different manner. And the engineer goes, oh, tell me more. And uh, on it goes. So that's that's, that's what I do. Yeah, that's my day that's job. Cool. It, it's yeah, it's fun, and I I'll, I get to drive the buses too. So every once in a while, we get to go out for a rip and do some traction testing. Maybe pull a few uh, sideways turns in the parking lot, whatever, where it's safe, right? <laughs> the bus. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A couple donuts. A couple little donuts. There's... You know, Canadians are known for donuts. <laughs> Just their police. Yes, we are. Yep. Tim, Tim Hartman. <laughs> Was that political? Uh, we love our Timmies. What can I say? Tim Hartman donuts. Yeah. I've never yeah. had one. Yeah. Oh, I've had well, donuts. I've never been to Tim Horton. Oh, no. really? Not yeah, once. I've heard Krispy Kreme is. I got to tell you, man. Yeah, they used to be a lot better. They used to be a lot. Oh, really? Tim, Tim Hortons? Yeah, yeah. Well, oh, yeah. 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 It's not Canadian-owned anymore. That's why. That Canadian, well, really? Canadian, yeah, no, they got bought by a company out of Boston. Exactly. I want to go oh, there and steal Wendy's. a tray so I can Wendy's be one of you. Tim yeah. Wendy's owns oh. Tim Hortons. Really, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. if you have listeners Dave Thomas, that, are, that still have, you know, opportunities to, to, to seek education, there are places in canada you can go for metallurgy and you, you get a really yeah. good sense of what's going on when yeah. you're doing this stuff with the metallers you know i, I say it's kind of like when the student looks at under a microscope for the first time they're like shit 
I didn't know any of this stuff existed. Mm-hmm. This is yeah. like a whole nother world. Oh, so, dude, so totally. There is a whole, literally, you take a piece of metal, you polish it, you put a little bit of acid on it, and now I can see inside the metal and what's going on. That's that's pretty cool. It's actually yeah. pretty cool. I my favorite thing is when we get, you know, some kids got some problem. Okay, go, go polish that. Go polish it. Okay, yeah, yeah, that's etch it. Okay, let's put it on the microscope. Cool. Look at that. Oh yeah. Now we can see what the hell is going on. And and now you again you can't tell exactly what happened, but you can use your yeah. use your metallurgical intuition to say, oh maybe they overheated this thing. Um, and, and, uh, mm-hmm. it, so it's, it's kind of cool. It's like being a detective. Um, and, and, and in some cases it's like inventing a process that can be done and help a company overcome a problem. But usually the problem is that most engineers, most mechanical engineers, especially have so little knowledge in the materials that they're working with that the, like, like you said today, you know, the technicians telling them what, what's going on with that metal because they're there. They might not know the science behind it, but they do it on a day-to-day basis. Right. And they have seen this stuff a hundred times. And like, dude, I'm telling you now, that's not going to work. <laughs> yes, sir. You got <laughs> it. That's how it is. You know, I, so I know. It'd be, it'd be mm-hmm. nice if they had that information coming into the, the program. It's just that a lot yeah. of the engineering programs are not real hands-on and your welding wow. background set you up. You know, you saw all kinds of stuff in welding, you know, and right. how to put the beads down. And, and what if I put too much heat into it? It's going to warp. It's going to pull towards the, it, it, it's all good knowledge. Uh, Got it. And I love what, when I get students that have done welding programs or that have done some trades and they come and they're coming back to school to say, well, well why? Or yeah. I had a student who was a welder and he's like, he sees the welding engineer go by and he goes, how do I get that guy's job? Yeah. Yeah. Hey, okay. And you know, okay. So I take back what I said. I don't wish I didn't go to school for welding. I wish that I would have gone to school for welding. And at this point have the capability to now take your course. I wish I had the ability to come take your course now, but me too. With everything that life has at <laughs> its home. Right. Mm. Yeah. No. Well, too bad. We, I mean, if, we're looking at alternative ways for education, which is online kind of stuff. It, it is no substitute for the hands-on part. So that's where our yeah. programs are really hands-on. I'm like, hey, you're going to make something that you want to make. I don't care what it is. You just, I had a student who wants to make an intake manifold for uh, his car. I'm like, nice. If you think you can finish that in the semester, maybe we could do that. <laughs> um so people are a lot more engaged in learning when they're doing something they want to do. You don't learn CAD drawing unless you've got a project you want to do. You don't learn forging unless there's a project you want to do. That's how you learn is you, you're yeah. trying to make something that you want. It doesn't matter what other people want. It's what you want. And eventually, if you get a business, you got to make what other people want. But you make it the way you want. Around it, again. Yeah. <laughs> right back to the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just with a little bit of skill behind your belt. <laughs> nice. Well, 
you know what? There's uh, only one last thing that we haven't brought up this episode that we need to bring up because uh, we've got a company that supports us and we support them. That's the TwillerLinseedOil.com. If you head over to TwillerLinseedOil.com, you can place an order for one of their multitude of various awesome products, um, all made from homegrown linseed right in saskatchewan processed in saskatchewan and sold out of saskatchewan by our man dawson to twiller and his family is a family family run and operated business and we can save you fifty dollars no ten percent on orders fifty dollars or more that's at the twiller linseed oil.com <laughs> the twiller linseed.com yeah it's just the twiller linseed.com not good, oil good yeah. recover yeah cover <laughs> Cover. Yeah, so linseed oil, you put it on, yeah. and 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 you kind of wipe it off, let it dry, and you do it like multiple layers, right? And it makes a really nice surface finish. That I've, I've not actually used. I think you use linseed oil in the foundry sometimes. You use it for making cores. There's multiple different things you can use linseed oil for. One of the things that blacksmiths yeah. will gravitate towards it for is hot finishing. When your work is at a black heat, essentially, you don't want it too hot. That's that smoke temperature, essentially. You apply linseed oil; it smokes a little bit, but it finishes in a beautiful black color. One of the things that I've learned is if that you apply it to polished steel at that temperature, it'll end up giving you a beautiful yellows and reds. Sometimes maybe a little bit of blues, depending on the temper color that you're hitting, right? You're hitting yeah. the right temper color yeah. and you're putting the oil on at the right temper color, you'll lock in some of those colors. It's really nice. Interesting. So. But it's kind of like what some people use beeswax for, like to it's um Yeah. Yeah. The, and they have seals, a product. It seals the Yeah, they have a product called flax wax. It's a half uh well, I don't know if it's half. I digress. I don't know what I'm talking about there. That's Dawson's specialty. He knows the mixture. It's uh, yeah, it's, yeah. it's linseed and beeswax mixed together in some special mm. formula. He also has Linshield, which is uh, the same thing with carnauba wax added to it. Interesting. Yeah, it, it hardened, cool. the carnauba wax uh, uh, allows it to harden a little bit more on its finishing process, so yeah. you get a little bit more of a a, a hard finish from that. It's a nice, nice traditional finish for indoor work. You got it, bud. Yes. Yeah. And on that note, I think it's probably time for us to wind it down here. I feel like we've been sure. going way longer than we have, but I want to keep going yeah. for way longer. I like this is we're three hours in and I want to go for like Holy three shit, hours really? more. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. It, it, I, I'm looking at this the clock is... and I'm going, it's 1030. What? Holy crap. But people want to know. <laughs> uh, yes. I want I, people. Is, I want to know. Yeah. This is one of those episodes that my brain hurts just because I absorb so much knowledge. Right. I mean, it's been crazy. It's been really crazy. Not, yeah. not just it makes me cold. realize how little I think it's how little cold. I know. I am uh, I'm cold. Actually it's it's pretty warm here today. It's pretty warm here. When you say warm, what do you you mean by that? (laughs) Okay, when you go outside, is water a solid or a liquid? Yeah. Uh, It's It's still starting to liquefy. Well, that's a good sign. Yeah. 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 Uh, No, 
it's it's really good yeah I'm cold because I spent an hour digging my truck out of the freaking ditch in my backyard tonight. Ah, <laughs> Son of a gun. Yeah, that was deep. I didn't think it was that deep, man. I kind of what I there's so there's a bit of a drift in the middle of my driveway going out to the shop, and I'm like, oh, I'll just plow through it. Big deal, whatever fucking hit that drift and it was just like nope you're gonna head for the tree line no <laughs> slammed on the brakes and the truck just shoop, into the ditch towards the tractor and i'm like literally like a foot away from the ford n9 right now dude where i was and i'm like oh my god i almost smoked the tractor frick that would have sucked okay so oh, oh. I'll, I'll just i'll just back myself out of it it's not so bad start kind of i start to go back oh like a little bit okay oh rock forward no back no oh fuck she's just she's sinking bud pull out the shovels i i started pulling snow out from under the truck it dropped as i was pulling <laughs> snow out from under. that's a bad oh. sign usually. Yeah. yeah she was hung up good bud yeah <laughs> oh no typical canadian day but anyway, yeah. yeah, we get we we get it's cold here, but we don't get a lot of snow. We don't get a lot of. We, I mean, comparatively, right? Uh, yeah. Snow is a couple of inches here, and they close the schools. But where uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Buffalo, where I was from, yeah, I remember the 1977. You know, snow was. Yeah. They just had a big, big storm recently, yeah. ice storm, and like my buddy's house got encased by ice. Like encased, yep. Like like yeah. half a foot well, of ice. That makes it. <laughs> it's perfect for you know putting your beer outside. And <laughs> right. It you just, cool, right. If, if you can yeah, open a open door. the door, yeah. stick it right in the yeah. yeah. Canadian <laughs> yeah, refrigerator. Right. Canadian <laughs> refrigerator right yeah. there. Yeah. Utilize it yeah. all the time, my man. Okay. Yeah. Well, if you want to, you know, if you want us to do some sort of. If if you had metallurgy questions, don't hesitate to give a call or whatever. And you know, I don't know everything, but I know people that know. So that's that's the big thing. Uh, if you get it. a problem you where, hey, I did this, and you know, it just shouldn't have happened, and doesn't didn't happen the way I thought it was going to do, and you know, I can at least give some, you know, bullshit answers that might be believable. Well, I, I wonder how many <laughs> unread emails you're going to have after this airs. No, don't, don't email me. These guys yeah. know how to get a hold of me. What's your email address? <laughs> <laughs> nope. Send me an email, but let's face it, you're not going to read it. Yeah. Come on, Rick. No, Come no. Rick, I, I, I look email. at my Instagram stuff. I look at the Instagram stuff. Rick, um, what's his email? So I, I, I know where he lives, so it's it's easy. Yeah. Okay, boys. <laughs> Let's close yeah, this off, Nick. Hey, man. Oh. You ready? All righty. Show these guys how it's done. Let's do it, buddy. Good day. <laughs> Good day. Good day, guys. It, well, it was thanks a good again. Day. That it, it's yeah, always thank, a good thank you very day. much wait when you're up yeah, uh, above no, the uh the 49th it's always a good day yeah yeah don't you know <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah hey honestly this has been a this has been an amazing podcast i mean i've 
like my brain literally hurts because I've just absorbed so much information. Well, and you that's get to, crazy. You get it's to listen really, to it really again. Crazy. That's the I, great I, Yeah. I get yeah. to listen to it a couple times because I got to edit it after oh, I this suppose. too. Yeah. Sorry about there, that. This, yeah. this three hours is going to turn into four hours a second time. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Easy. <laughs> yeah. Just put but, it out there. Uh, look, 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 look forward I, to I, hearing, hearing it. I think this is probably gonna go down as being one of my most favorite episodes, dude. Like, like this was amazing. Been, it was really good. Yeah, yeah, you guys really are good. awesome. We're available well, for weddings and bar mitzvahs as well. So, the <laughs> <laughs> odd bat mitzvah. Either way, excellent. Either excellent. way, sure. yeah, right on. We don't discriminate. Right excellent. Anyone that's gonna yeah. stand still excellent. more than three minutes, we will talk. To <laughs> Come up to Can Iron so I can meet you, you guys. Uh, I I have never heard yeah. a bad word about Can Iron. Well, not I a bad word. Sure, hope not. I haven't heard anything uh, bad about Abana conferences either. So, and I, I would I would tell you guys I'd meet you at one, but uh, yeah, maybe, <laughs> maybe maybe one day, maybe one day. But if if you're thinking about hitting any event. In the U.S., that's related to blacksmithing. Go to Southern Ohio Forge. Sofa. Anvil. Yeah, Sofa. Yeah. Sofa's it. It's For sure. That's what I've heard. They put on a good show. I've uh, heard that before I'm, a lot. I'm biased. But... I've demonstrated there, there twice go. and assisted once. So <laughs> I am a little biased, nothing, but. Nothing to do with it. I've also heard that, I don't know if you guys are familiar with uh, the maker camps that are happening nowadays, Catskill Maker Camp. Nope. That's uh, that's out in the east uh, side of the. It's in Pennsylvania, I think. Actually, mm. yeah, I'm involved and, in in that kind of side of things, but I haven't heard of that one. Catskill Maker Camp. Cats Hill. Cats Hill Maker Camp. Cats Hill. I think that's what, it, or maybe it's Cats Skill. I can't remember. But probably it's, yeah. if it's out that way, it's probably Cats Skill. I know. Um, Jimmy Deresta is involved. Yeah. In it okay. And, yeah. Yeah. All those. Yeah, it's a huge event now at this point. It was it started off okay. small, but it ramped up real quick as soon as Jimmy got involved. Right. Yeah, my my buddy knows Jimmy for he does furniture and shit like that. So, right. um, uh, yeah, that 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 sounds interesting. Um, yeah, we I do a lot of uh, design. To, like, I can design something on my computer, and cast it the next day in other words i i 3d print it take the pattern take it over my little foundry i got a little foundry in town here i got i got the university foundries but i have my own foundry so i can do brass and aluminum and stuff like that and i can i can have that you know i do uh hardware for uh rowboats and stuff like that so or like sailboats old sailboats so if someone has an old sailboat and they, they need uh they need a bow fitting or some cleat or something like that i can I can cast it from and probably one of the only few people in the country that can do the old hand molding and stuff like that, you know, but there's a lot of makers that want, yeah. that want to get into this. So I've, I've, I've got some, I don't know, if you look at my Instagram, there's also some casting stuff on my Dr. Woot stuff. I should probably do a casting one as well, but um, I, I put some stuff on there on, on backyard casting and going from 3d prints, this steel, uh, spear that we're making um last night i was in the lab till about one o'clock in the morning it was a 3d printed um pattern we're making a rubber mold like right now the rubber is curing 
Tomorrow I'm going to get the rubber mold. We're going to inject wax into it. Um, next week it'll be a steel uh, spear. Huh. So that's awesome, bud. That's so cool. Yeah. Uh, I got a lot cool. that I can learn from you guys for sure, man. That's awesome. I, yeah. And I want to do the casting, so I'll be keeping my eyes in you for sure. I, I think I think that a lot of the people that do blacksmithing, it's a corollary process yep. that you. I want to cast uh, my buddy. Um, uh isaiah schrader he's in town here he's a awesome night uh he does a lot of kitchen knives and stuff like that he's an awesome guy and i'm always over at his shop and we're, we're trading ideas and how to make things you know of course i don't sell knives but he does it for a living and so he's doing investment cast uh, uh components for the 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 guards and stuff like that he does a lot yeah. of japanese style stuff um and right. uh and so combining these processes to do what you need to do what you want is really a, is really a good program. You guys need um, to get you guys need to get in touch with Mike Palmer or Mike Palmer needs to get in touch with you guys. He's in your he's in your neck of the woods. He's near Chicago. Does he do the skulls? No, he's no, doing uh, copper. He's doing what's called gem bronze. Oh, gems, bronze. Yeah, I am. I got him on my stuff here. Yeah, I've been in touch with him too. Oh, okay. Uh, one okay. of these days, I'll have to, I'll have to actually, you know, have him come up or, um, yeah. So the Mike Palmer. Yeah, I saw his stuff and he's following me and I, I followed him nice. and we, nice. we corresponded a little bit. Um, Beautiful. So, Beautiful. Yeah, yeah. So we'll have to get something going there. I'm sure there's there we go. the guy that that you were talking about, Rick, is uh, Stephen. Oh shoot, he's down in Chicago. He's a, yeah. he does a lot of investment casting stuff. Yeah, uh, he's really good. He's he's uh, he makes his own Luna, slurry. Luna Burn. I like that. It's called Luna Burn. Yeah, it's like L U N A B U R N. Right. Uh, he's, on, he's got a bunch. He's got a bunch of videos on um, on YouTube that you can go to Luna Burn or whatever it is uh, studios and. Um, and he's he's really good on investment casting stuff. We just froze up our slurry. I had about uh, eight hundred pounds of liquid ceramic that just froze up like concrete last oh. week. So blew the breaker. You know, it's, it's always stirring so that the slurry stays liquid, and it, yeah. it just froze up. So not good. I, oh, I no. thought the suspended oh, no. slurry didn't need to be constantly no we don't use suspended slurry we use the traditional stuff from the Uh, industry but he's got some stuff on his website that he uses that allows you to do it in a five gallon pail or something like that our our thing was this 30 gallons so it's it's so it can dip a whole store or whatever that in that in that bath been stirring for a year so that's pretty pretty good holy (laughs) shit going for for a year crazy (laughs) Okay, Very well, cool, you better let right. you guys yeah. get to right. bed or whatever you got to do tomorrow, huh? Supper. Yeah. <laughs> Big day tomorrow. Okay. Well, hopefully right. we can consider keep, keep keep in touch on Instagram and all that kind of stuff. I got you you can message me and everything and if people have awesome. questions or want to contact me, you know, Dr. Woots and you know, do the PM on there and we'll we'll figure out what you're working on or help you out if I can. Yeah. And and nobody has go. to contact me. That'd be just fine. I like you guys. You need some people to show up for your classes. <laughs> well, that's true. But then they get to leave. That's that's nice too. 
Yeah. <laughs> I like it when they leave. I, I, like I tell them when they show up that yeah. they better make the knife they like because after Sunday, okay. I'm never going to see it again, but they might. What yeah. What was the weirdest thing that ever – what was the weirdest – situation that ever came up in your class uh, as far as product or personality person well person personality oh whatever. i i had a guy that came multiple times and we i thought we developed a friendship and then his brain fell out so that was weird i'm a lot more guarded now <laughs> oh. uh since yeah. then yeah because i i'm huh. i think i'm a nice guy that might not be true but that's that's how I thought. So I treat everyone, you know, kindly. Yeah. I mean, I'm excited. Having someone that doesn't have a background in blade making or blacksmithing makes the craft new to me again when I'm walking them yeah. through the process. And that's interesting. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, and you get really to meet cool. people. And, and most of the time, I think, just in general, people suck. But the ones that come by the shop aren't that bad. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's developed into into friendships with some of them. Um, and you know, I, I'm terrible at teaching because some of them have come back like six right. or seven times. So, yeah, you know. that's cool, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. But uh, but yeah, they're almost never personality conflicts because they want to be there, and it's a short amount of time. Yeah. Um, but there have been some strange projects. I used to do a zombie apocalypse uh, class where we just take a bar of appropriate steel and make something. Um, and yeah. and there were some strange things that came out of that. Uh, very strange things. <laughs> you know, big glaives and, and double-headed axes that were the size of five-gallon buckets. And, you know, oh, largely man. they're plasma cut and fabricated. But you just let people make something. Now people do mostly, it's either the sword class, which is pretty intense. I mean, I hurt when that one ends. Um, Or uh, the weekend Damascus classes where we make a pattern welded knife in two days. Yeah. So that's that's some good work. I've got got something for you guys. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was doing an art project the other day uh, with a couple of uh, beer cans, actually. Had a couple beer cans, and my my daughter comes by and she says, "Dad, what are you doing?" As oh, I'm little art project here. What do you mean an art project? Well, I'm just I'm making something. Well, what are you making? I'm making a bird. That doesn't look like a bird. I said, "Sure, it is. It's toucan." Uh, oh, <laughs> yeah, you're a dad. Because <laughs> that's a yeah. dad joke, yeah. right there. That is a dad joke. Uh-huh. Yeah. Now, if you put a banana and some duct tape on a wall, then you got something. Now I'm an artist. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, guys. Uh, Yeah. No. All right. I I gotta go eat. I'm sorry. All right. It was a pleasure, guys. Yeah. Take care, gentlemen. Good night, guys. You bet. Have a good night. Good night. <laughs> and then we'll, if we did, is, we'll freeze up. This is the point where we just all shut up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Nothing funny is going to happen now. Yeah, yeah. But, wait, yeah. I-
<laughs> sure, See, it right. happened. It actually happened. Oh, it I happened. I thought you were getting tone or whatever. Is it one of these two? But a, a, is there a an See, audio I mean, equivalent to a cracker? To a cut, yeah, like a cut. <laughs> no, nope. No, no, it just it's it's it. That's it. It's going. That's the segue. Okay. Yeah. That's the segue. Save yeah. the good stuff for the recording. Is that that's the lead in? Okay. All right. That's no. right. Oh, yeah. Hey, I'm well, just here I, to I, help. You yeah. know. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> you're, you're a big help, Rick. I've I've known you for thirty seconds. You're a big help already. Yeah, That's well, great. great. It's all pretend. <laughs> Ask my children if I have a sense of humor or any intellect, and they'll go, "My dad? What do you know?" Oh, this is going to be fun. <laughs> do we introduce ourselves, or how do you want to do this? Well, what I'm going to do is I'll start off by letting you guys know about a couple things here. There's uh, a mute function on the bottom of the screen where your names are. If you want to, if you have to mute yourself for some reason, say you got a you know, coughing fit going on or something like that. And uh, then there's also a, a camera function if you need to turn off the camera for something. You know, if you decide to take your clothes off, please turn off the camera. Yeah, because nobody <laughs> yeah. wants to see that. Yeah, Lando. Yeah, Lando. <laughs> yes sir yes sir no, no. um if you're on a laptop make sure you're plugged in so you, the power doesn't die yep. on us everything right um watch out for background noise like i've got a drink here if i'm tapping it on the on the computer desk then it comes through the mic pretty bad so just watch out for that kind of stuff um notifications on your phone turned off i'm pretty sure mine are and uh, we we strive away from political and religious talks because it can get us in trouble. Um, we do try to engage in uh, all around conversation with the group. So if there's stuff you guys want to ask us and whatnot and or whatever, it's engage in conversation is essentially the name of the game when it comes to this. It's not necessarily an interview per se, right? Uh, we're here to talk about um, our passion for working with metal and uh, let everybody kind of pick up on the hints and tips that we drop in between uh, what, what happens between all of us during that conversation, right? Uh, shout outs. If you have people that you want to, um, you know, let everybody else know about that uh, you've either worked with or that you, you know, somebody that's up and coming that deserves some uh, recognition by all means, let, let everybody know about them. Well, I'm, I'm 52. So up and comers would be like 40 year olds. So <laughs> You know? Well, stu <laughs> students, right? You, um, you, stuff like that. If you've got people that come in and work with you or whatever that you saw lots of potential out of or whatever, something like that. Um, and a show. What we When we all say goodbye, don't close the screen or anything like that because I actually have to stop the recording. When I do that, it takes a couple seconds for the files to upload. Once the files are uploaded, then I'll say, okay, now we're all uploaded. Everything's good to go. You guys can leave now at this point. Just close the screen and, and go on your merry okay. way. Yep. And last and not least, I like to steal some images from social media if possible, or if you want to send me some photos that I can use hmm. to create a little bit of a promotional mm -hmm. ad for our Instagram account that for just for the episode. If you look at our Instagram account, you'll see what I'm talking about. I do one for every episode. So, mm -hmm. and you should, uh, Rick, you should send them some stuff with the if borders. I, like I can that. do that. If, if I'm turning my head, I'm looking out the window to see if my shop is on fire because I'm roasting a <laughs> wood singet right now. So, 
It's oh. in a kiln, though. It's oh, it's safe, go. but I I've got three friends whose shops have burned down. One of them two weeks ago. Oh, so man. I'm a oh, little, yeah. little skittish, as you might say. Yeah. Oh, no, I, Jason, Jason Knight lost his shop. Did he? I, I don't know if that's one of your friends. Yeah. I, yeah, no, I, yeah. I I am aware of Jason. I think we communicated once, but I, gee, I did, I hadn't heard that. Yeah. No, okay. Doug, yeah. Doug Ponzio here in Wisconsin. He had a shop fire and uh, total loss. Burned right to the oh, ground. Man. Yeah. He's fine, there's but some, uh, there's some amazing oh, yeah. uh, pattern welded and and uh, was it powdered metallurgy stuff, right? Right. He was one of the real pioneers of that back in the day. He's he's been smithing for forty some years now. Yeah. Oh boy. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, we're Look we're losing a whole generation that. of people that that the new communities never heard of. You know, they're yeah. just yeah. they're aging out, and that's a sad thing. Uh, when everyone has a 15 minute, uh, memory. So, you know, if you're not on the Insta, I mean, I'm on Facebook and then my website 15. and then whatever comes up the driveway. And that is not how you do social media these yeah. days. Yeah. yeah. 15 minutes. That that's being very generous. Actually. You think so? Well, you're, you're, you have a finger on the pulse. I, I try not to hit oh. my fingers and then, then I'm doing all I barely right. have a finger on my pulse. But yeah, social uh, media <laughs> escapes me. Yeah. yeah. Mindfulness. Yeah. Right? I kind of, I kind of uh-huh. give them, you know, I'm on Instagram and a couple other things and, you know, I kind of give them some of that background. Hey, you know this guy? Oh yeah, I know that guy. Um, but uh, yeah. No, I we, knew him we, when um, I was 12. Yeah. <laughs> Rick and I have been working together well, now. What, what What is it? About 20 something years? Oh, gee. Do you remember how we met? Ori, was it Ori? Or yeah, you're at the university. Yeah, so university I was day. dating this girl uh, who I later married because she has poor judgment. And uh, <laughs> her father um, was an engineer, material, uh, um, well, I think they called him a chief. Uh, instrumentation specialist for the University of Wisconsin-Madison. So he worked at engineering campus and he took napkin sketches and turned them into things, right? And uh, he collected people that were useful. And, uh, you know, I I was dating his daughter for about a year and he said, well, you know, if you're interested in things, you should meet some of the guys at the U. And one of the people he introduced me to was Kyle. Kyle who was a graduate student, I think, at the time. Uh, And we met in the casting lab, uh, where he's now uh, basically in charge of. Is that accurate? Yeah, I'm teaching there now. Yeah, so he never left. And then uh, the the thing that he was working on, I didn't understand, something about ductile iron. But um, uh, Ori had told me that no one liked Kyle. Because he used materials and uh, wanted all the equipment to function, and he'd come in after hours to work on his uh, his projects. So they didn't like him because he made them do their jobs uh, and keep <laughs> materials stacked. And I, I'm not sure he ever heard this story, but but that was it. And then I had a small blacksmith shop on uh, my uh, on their property on Ori's property. Um, no electricity. It had one wall, I think, at the time. 
and uh, meaning a, a shed uh, with, uh, you know, open on three sides, one wall and a roof. Right. And Kyle came out and I think we forged an S hook and I gave it to him because he said he had a plant he needed to hang. So he got that S hook and I regretted giving it to him for about a year because I wanted that S hook. It looked pretty good. And uh, I'm sure he doesn't have it anymore, but that was like 28 years ago, something like Probably, that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was a while. Yeah, and I no longer regret giving him the S-hook if, if we're keeping tallies. But at the time, I thought it was pretty special. Do you still have the yeah. S-hook? Uh, I think I gave it to my mom to hang oh, the plant. Oh, That's appropriate. <laughs> yeah. That's acceptable. That's, that's what I think. Yeah. So, yeah, we've well, been doing some weird that. science ever since then. You know, I'm kind of a metallurgist, and I have the access to some some pretty cool equipment at the university and you know being a metallurgist i like to look at stuff under microscopes and see what's actually happening to the metal and i, yeah. I kind of understand it at the scientific level and and rick is a self-taught metallurgist he's got more books than i do in fact his books compete for space in his living room and um i'm That's not true. sure how his floor hasn't broken yet i so. well I have a story about that, but it's not the Rick show, but I, I had to move a stack of books that were in front of another stack of books. And I bent down just to pick them up and move them. And I couldn't, I had to reposition and, and grunt. And uh, being the genius that I am, I counted the number of stacks and figured, well, if I couldn't lift that stack, I probably can't lift the others. And then I ran to the basement to see how the joists were doing and then made a trip to a big box store and reinforced the floor that day. Um, so yeah, my, I, I can't run the calculation, but there's yeah. a difference between static and dynamic loads and the static load was impressive. And I'm happy yeah. that I don't host dancing parties in my tiny living room. Cause that, <laughs> then you'd have heard about it. Yeah. It would have made the news for sure. Um, but yes, I, I, I collect books, but I don't necessarily read them all, but I can tell you what picture is on what page? Uh, yeah, I got, I, it reminds me, I got your anvil book here. I got to give that back to you. Mm, uh, I want to make some anvils. Yeah, yeah, so we actually did make it. We did make an anvil for Rick relatively recently. I don't know if you saw that on my Instagram there a little while back. We cast a 70-pound anvil. It had like a gargoyle face on the side of it. Uh, oh, wow. And uh, that, that, was, that was a project that Rick is working on. Uh, what is it called, Rick? It was like Sexy Anvil. Or oh yeah, sexyanvil.com. Like yeah, I own that, but it, there's nothing there. There's no there there yet. Um, yeah, but gotta, I, I want to do limited production runs. You know, like twenty anvils of a certain type. Oh yeah. And then uh, you know cool. number them and whatever, and then then do another set. And I have a, a few ideas that I'm that I'm working through. Um, that what are, kind of weights are you thinking? Oh well, see that's it. I want to have it in a flat rate. U.S. postal box, so I can ship uh -huh. a flat rate anywhere in in Connors. So I, I don't know if you're aware of this. In the United States, we have this thing called flat rate mailing, and yep. it's anything okay. you can put in that box, which yep. is yep. really great for people that do blacksmithing and stuff like that. Because I yep. ship to Hawaii, which is considered part of the United States, uh, to Peter out there in Hawaii. I shipped him a whole bunch of ingots of of pig iron. And I think it was 70 something pounds or 70 pounds 
And I think it cost me seven dollars U.S. to send that. Right. If, <laughs> if it fits <laughs> to Hawaii, wow. my, my we, postal carrier uh, leaves a message saying, "Come to the post office when when I get things," because uh, I get fifty pound packages pretty regular. Right? And, uh, yeah, yeah. I, take, I just walk to the back. Take advantage of that. Well, yes. <laughs> I think it's uh, an excellent service. I hope the post office continues to do that. But we have I, I think right it, here as well, but it's uh, I think there's a weight limit on it, to be I, honest. When sure. we ship to Canada, when U.S. ships to Canada, I think it's a 20-pound weight limit in that flat rate box. Okay. So we can still take advantage of it, but, but you got to do smaller parcels. Yeah. We're talking the wrong units, you know. It shows that we're from, we're from over the border. We should be talking kilograms, eh? Oh no, we talk in <laughs> uh, <laughs> we deal we deal mostly in pounds here to be honest. It's, really? Yep. That's interesting. Very, in industry you'll get into kilograms, but even in industry you'll talk uh, pounds a lot. Um uh, government is all kilograms and whatnot. Right. But yeah. Out out east around around Niagara Falls and in Toronto, it's very uh SI unit heavy, but uh that's interesting. That's, that's that's good to know. The same thing in in, in England. It's interesting. And we live in we live in, in South Africa. They're they're pretty. Half the time, I you know, the summer I'm I'm in South Africa, but uh, um, um, I guess they they're they're pretty much trans transferred over to to uh, you know SI units over there. Right. So they're they're talking kilograms, but um, some of the old folks are are still using you know pound feet inches kind of stuff yeah the the u k uh, blacksmith gatherings I've seen them flip back and forth without missing a beat yeah. Yeah. <laughs> hey, oh, i'm bilingual do you do you uh weigh yourself in kilograms or pounds? I try not to um, at all because uh <laughs> it's not a good number either well, way. That. <laughs> it sounds better in kilograms. Yeah. <laughs> stone. Yeah. I, I right weigh here. myself in stone, yeah. but I don't know the conversion <laughs> to real units, so it sounds like I'm petite. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, yeah. We sh- we haven't done the actual. Oh, the subject. Um, yeah. No, the actual intro that we normally do oh, for the show. Yeah. We usually do a little bit of an intro to the show, so we should probably get that uh, out of the way before we uh, get carried too far away here and miss, forget about it, miss a beat. So, um, You got the information written down, it looked like there. Hey, Nick? Um, no, not really. <laughs> I, 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 sorry, I had to take that well, phone call. If was, you don't uh, give no, us no, a no, subject, I, Kyle and all, uh, yeah. we'll just pick one. And, uh, no, 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 that's fine. No, no, no worries there. <laughs> but uh, no, I just mean like um, background and a quick yeah. introduction for them type thing, right? Sure. Yeah. Do you have no one. Do you, you don't. You're good. Okay, don't worry about it. Uh, you want to do okay. the beginning then, and I'll. I can do the beginning. Yeah, sure. Um, what was the name of your forge again, there, uh, Rick? Door County Forge Works. Door County Forge Works, right? Yeah. Because I live in Door County and it's a Forge Works, so yeah, <laughs> makes sense. I yeah. I like simple things, contrary to <laughs> ah, we're gonna get along great. <laughs> simple is difficult. Simple is very is complicated. Ah, to, to take a concept so? and distill it down to what's important is not a simple thing to do. 
And to do what Kyle does, which is educate. Well, I do a little bit of that too, but only, only two on one here. Uh, he's got roomfuls yeah. of people that don't necessarily want to listen to him and have to get that across. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <sighs> can't imagine going and sitting in a room and not wanting to listen to that stuff. It drives me insane. Anyways, let's uh, do the intro. You got the good day part going down I there. Do. And, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, gentlemen, if you don't mind, start us off. Um, Rick, you start us off with a good day. Kyle, follow up right after him, and then um, I'll do it, and then Nick will do I, it, and that's kind of like how we usually start the show. I, I think the doctor should go first. He's early. Right, sure. a, a, a good day in the forge. Is that what you're saying? Uh, well, no, no just that, uh, like you know, the Canadians. Uh, okay, good day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good okay. day. There you go. <laughs> All right. Start us um, off. Yep. 